0: Welcome to Alosa Fumar Takes. This is our 273rd take, live from the Alec Bradley Lone Star Studio of Azel, Texas. I'm your host, Barry DePlitzy, as always, and I'm so proud, so pleased, and so privileged to be with you all tonight. This is gonna be a fantastic show. It's my birthday episode, not really. One month later, not really. But we do have the formal guest of honor that does tend to grace us on that special episode. He's agreed to meet with me after another great holiday. Uh, Thanksgiving, of course, was this past week. So we're so excited to welcome him in. But before we get before we on to that, we do have to thank the people that make this show possible. And that, of course, is our sponsors. And tonight's show is sponsored by Drew Estate. Once again, Drew Estate has done it once again, releasing the Liga Privatica Unico Porchetto, a culinary-inspired cigar exclusively for Casa de Monte Cristo. Yep, that's right, sports fans. Drawing inspiration from the traditional Italian roasted pork dish, known for its rich layers and savory seasonings, the cigar is meticulously crafted to invoke a similar complexity in its flavor profile. Liga Provada Porchetta is exclusively available at this distinguished Casa de Monte Cristo brick-and-mortar locations. Jonathan Drew, founder and president of Drew Estate, expressing his excitement. for You can see why I'm going to chuckle here in a second. The new global offices of Drew Estate proclaims Porchetta is a meaty, in-your-face turbulent journey of flavor and aroma it's a hard-hitting yet smooth and meat-loving calculated at the very same time kind of like larry holmes jab to the dome it's not meant to knock you out but damn that was the thing about holmes in his heyday he could literally knock you out with a couple of jabs nobody gets knocked out with a jab really this porchetta is like a miniature larry holmes my dad was a larry holmes fan for the record well that says it jonathan drew larry holmes Smoke the porchetta. Check out your Drew Diplomat retailers today, or check out Costa Monte crystal where you can smoke the Liga Provodica Unicorn porchetta today. And welcome, everyone. This is our 273rd take. Without further ado, it is my pleasure to welcome back one of my absolute favorite guests. uh He is always a delight, and tonight he's even more jolly than ever. We welcome Mr. Steve Saka of Dunbarton Tobacco and Trust. Steve, how are you doing tonight?
1: Good God, you have some energy! You know what's funny? The people who see this before you start the live part, they right. see like the normal bear,
0: the normal and bear. then it's
1: like bam—you're like on camera.
0: Gotta go, man. Gotta go. You got to get the 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 espresso-inspired introduction stuff. <laughs> my my two favorite my two favorite reactions all time have to be Charlie Minato. Because uh, he was not expecting it, I don't think he ever saw the introduction to the show. Like you, he, like he's watched my show. He, I know he has, but like, yeah, I don't think right. he ever watched the. I think he probably just like fast forward through the beginning or whatever. And it's just, I, I mean, like his eyes just popped out of his sockets. And then George Padrone is probably my favorite. He, he told me he shit his pants. So that was kind of, that was kind of unexpected coming from George. So. Oh, there you
1: go. <laughs> but good it stuff, That was just the best
0: shit. Yeah, it was <laughs> the best shit. The best shows, Pedro. <laughs> absolutely. Uh, it's so, Steve. Well, welcome back. Uh, I know it's been a it's been a year since uh, you were on the show, and I, I know our schedules didn't work this year. Much to your chagrin, to not be on my my birthday episode this year. I know you do it just for me. Yeah. Cause,
1: cause uh, you- it, broke, it just absolutely broke my heart. Yeah. To miss your birthday episode, you have no I know. idea.
0: I know. The I tears know. that I w- fell. I know exactly. The uh, weeping, the
1: crying in the streets. The sheer misery, the burden of despair. Yes. When was your birthday again?
0: Last month. Last month, the month October. But then you had all this traveling and everything man. that you were doing and stuff. So it just it just didn't work out this year. And how old? And how old are you now? I'm 40. It was a big one, man. I'm 40. I turned 40. A oh, so. wee pup, you be indeed.
1: <laughs> Got many many years ahead of you. I'm on I'm on the downhill side, I think, big, big time. No, man, you're, you're still probably going to on the th- downhill side. Things well, no, too. I, I hope
0: I hope you,
1: you know what you'll probably live longer. Actually, you, you you take better
0: care of yourself than I do, myself I I, I try to. Yeah, I mean, but I mean, this this, this I mean, I, when I'm not drinking like whiskey and smoking cigars, it's definitely like a it's definitely a steady diet of black coffee and water. So it's not really. Yeah, I'm I'm pretty sure I'm I'm, I'm doing good. I'm doing something
1: you right. You put more care into your beard than I put into my entire life. So let's just get real. This yeah, is all natural,
0: Steve. Better is, care for you. This is all natural. This is just natural born talent, man. That's all it is. That's all it is. No so.
1: cream, no no whatever oils, <sighs> nothing.
0: Man, I've, tr- I've tried some stuff.
1: Like something people, in that shit.
0: People have be like, like a bird. Yeah. People have gifted me stuff, like really, and I've tried. I mean, I try it. Yeah. It's not like I'm like opposed to it. I'm just like it. Just I a lot of the creams and stuff like are real oily and greasy, and there's like I I have yeah. naturally oily. stuff tearing like Karen skin so yeah, I just like... I don't
1: use it either but mine doesn't get much longer than this it starts to all break and curl under I mean I if I ever let like I could do what you're doing but it's just a little too uh what's the word I'm looking for what was the guy with the bear
0: Grizzly Adams it's a little Grizzly too Grizzly Adams, Adams a little too Grizzly Adams I think yeah. I think you could rock the I think you could rock the beer I'd like to see that that'd be cool you kind of you kind of got something going a little bit I don't
1: know I have no problem growing if I wanted to It's just I don't want to.
0: Have you, have, I mean, how long have you, how long have you had the goatee?
1: Uh, Probably since off and on in the, starting in the early nineties through the mid nineties. But then I like really committed like around 98, 90. No, that's not true. I really committed around 2000, I think right around then. 2000 2001 so i pretty much have had this same thing started about 10 years earlier really said this is it this is what i'm gonna do you know from about 2000 on give or take a couple years either way it's not like it was a milestone in my life where i was like oh my god i had an epiphany i'm gonna have a goatee for the rest of my life but uh it was somewhere about there
0: um well i gotta say like the uh I mean, if you're doing it in the mid '90s, that was before it was cool.
1: So, like, let me go- tell you what it was like being a guy that looked like me in the mid '90s: shaved head, goatee, 300 pounds. Basically, everyone that looked at me thought I was either an ex-con, a white nationalist, or a white nationalist who was an ex-con. An occasional biker would get thrown in, depending on where I was. Yeah, it was a pretty scare. I was a I was a scary looking thing at that age. I mean, like little kids would cringe and run. So it is kind of weird now how it's become like every bald dude on the planet shaves his head. Every bald dude on the planet grows a goatee. It is kind of like the uniform of us follically challenged at this point. But yeah, back in the early mid 90s. Yeah. Yeah. White power, convicts, bikers combination of the three that was it
0: that's why you just wear a hat all the time like i do and then it's just like an international man of mystery thing kind of going on
1: <laughs>
0: nobody really knows
1: I like, wear hats a lot but
0: i don't i don't tend to
1: wear them i don't know i like to wear a hat when i'm outside i don't tend to wear a hat when i'm inside
0: right i i i i'm i got a hat on at all times like um unless you go to church with me you don't see is there hair that. under the hat there, there there's hair
1: I don't even know if there is hair under the hat. Yeah. I've never seen it without
0: that Exactly. Come to church with me, <laughs> or you'll find out, Steve. That's the only place. it's the only place it comes off. So <laughs>
1: you're gonna have to pay for the little extra show, my friend. Uh, exactly. Exactly.
0: <laughs> uh, awesome. Well, uh, well, let's let's get things rolling here. Uh, I've got a few cigars. Uh, that, of course, of course, you remember the tradition here, Steve. Uh, I always allow my guests to uh, pick my cigars. Uh, to smoke, so I've got a couple of favorites of yours. Um, one, in, a couple yeah. in particular, I think that'll you know kind of get you really excited. But let's. This is uh, this is a red meat leverage club. This is the original. This is from the original batch that you did. I've been saving a few. Fifty six
1: ring gauge. Yeah,
0: 50s, yep. Yes, sir. Fifty six. Parejo. That was my least favorite. Well, there you go. That's a piece of shit. It's lying right there for you for you to pick. Um, <laughs> I've got the uh, I've got the sober mesa uh, cervantes fino. Of course, very elegant. One of my favorites. Yes, Uh, I've got the sin compromiso, the number five.
1: Yes, I I also enjoy that one.
0: Yeah, and the. Now, while this isn't my favorite uh, moisture de saka, it is a fan favorite. I go to toe. I go toe to toe with a lot of people, including Skip Martin, who uh, uh, I say it's the exclusivo is the best. He says it's the naka tamale. So I have the naka tamale tonight. Uh, but mm-hmm. I also have, I also have a mecarita blue, but not just any mecarita blue, one that you made specially to celebrate the 10th anniversary of the Piro Sabor festival.
1: Oh. I would, we're, how many cigars? How long are we talking tonight? Are you, is this a two cigar thing for you or one cigar thing?
0: Uh, it might, it, it definitely won't be just one. I would say it's probably going to be two.
1: I would go with the Cervantes Fino, okay, to begin. Sounds good. And I'm sure it's how the 10th anniversary Sabor one is because that was from last year, correct?
0: Yes, mm-hmm.
1: yeah. I missed the festival due to uh, some of the, the, the. T- they just didn't schedule it until too late, and I had already had commitments. You know what I mean? At least this year, they had the date, like, put in stone, like, at least six months ahead. So right. I could get it into my calendar. So I I regretfully couldn't make last year. So I don't know how the cigars were that actually went in. I, I hope they didn't suck. Nobody complained, but they never do. You know what I mean? So you can smoke and tell me if they messed it up and put tight cigars in the damn Toro Sabor box yeah let's smoke the cervantes fino first
0: you got it sir all right so let's go ahead and do that and while we're doing that let's go ahead and to go into tonight's major point which is always brought to you by the people yes uh cigar people the people who know everything about a lifetime of service protocol cigars is more than just pool parties and good times well Maybe it is. But behind the fun is a motivation for service, a motivation for giving back. From the original Protocol Blue to the latest release in the Lawman series, uh, Phoebe Cousins, Protocol has always been about honor, passion, and yes, the people. It's what their life's work have been and always will be about. Power of the P, Protocol Cigars. Well, Steve, uh, so what it, talks, it, it it's funny, funny enough, you actually went ahead and pecked us. And I know you explained it all you know, in 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 great press release and everything like that. But I kind of wanted just to get your ideas behind I mean this was the original cigar that put you on the market that really I mean um it's still it's still my I mean it's still my favorite blend um that you've done. Um and I I mean really? I absolutely love it. Yeah. I absolutely love it. I mm-hmm. love all I love a lot of your other stuff. You know that. Um it's I love it that much. I love it's so. It's a good blend. Good.
1: I mean yeah. it's always been a good blend. It's just um it's look, it's a, a medium plus a little more than medium, right? A medium and a twidge, maybe.
0: Right. I've That's always right, said it's right there. I've always said it's the most like when I I mean back when I was working at Michaels, I always said it was the most complex medium body cigar we had in there in the fumidor.
1: It is I a mean, complex cigar. It's an intricate yeah. blood. It's very it's very good. Look, it's it's managed to withstand eight years. And you know, um very few brands make eight years. And there are brands on the market that were launched like the same year, but they're nowhere near as popular as Sober Mesa. You know what I mean? Right. They're already kind of in their twilight already. And they were super popular eight years ago. Sober Mesa has managed to kind of slowly grind it out, hold its own. And oddly enough, with Sober Mesa Brulee, uh, um, many more people smoke Sober Mesa Brulee than ever smoke Sober Mesa. Um, so sober Mesa brulee is now kind of serving as the stepping stone to people trying the darker, fuller, even though it's medium, you know, sober Mesa. So it's actually getting a lot of new people that never tried sober Mesa before. So sober Mesa sales have actually, um, pretty much been steadily increasing for the last couple of years again.
0: That's great. I mean that makes that makes me happy because the last thing I want is to like I mean because I mean I I was really you know I know that it's always there and you're gonna be you're gonna be able to bring it back once like the tobacco is becomes more available for both the Cyber Mesa brulee and everything but I I mean Toastless Diaz is still I mean I still love that blend it's fantastic I still have some uh quite a few actually so holding those holding on to those enjoying every moment with them so can uh, smoke the damn things. It's always another cigar, man. Who cares? I know. Everyone always says that to me. Why
1: afford it? What's the point? Look, you have tons of cigars to smoke anyways, because you're always trying new things because of your game. So, I mean, for you, it's more, uh, it's a matter of opportunity. And, you know, when can you do it? But honestly, there's no reason to ever save cigars. It should all just be
0: I mean, every manufacturer tells me that. Like and it's don't get me wrong, like it's sound advice. I like, guess like I'm not here sitting here saying like, oh that's bullshit. So like it's not you
1: have heard my you have heard my advice on this matter before, have you not, Barrett? Yes,
0: absolutely. Of course. I mean, but why you should smoke them? Uh, please regale us again. But yes, I've heard this.
1: Uh, okay. So here's my logic. So I used to be a big Uber collector. I had maybe twenty five thousand rough cigars in my humidor.
0: Right? I love this story for the record,
1: but keep going. I know. A really large, large humidor, and um, I don't know. One day it just kind of dawned on me that my wife was in better shape than I am, and that I'm definitely gonna die before she dies. And this isn't where I thought I was going, but okay. <laughs> and you know, what this means is I'm gonna die, and my wife's you know, at that point, she's still quite pretty as far as I'm concerned. Well, she is pretty, I mean, not even a caveat on that but i mean well, but, there, I mean, Cass- well
0: there casanova
1: yeah I mean, I mean so look my wife is going to she's gonna have other suitors she she may get remarried again right i mean it's highly likely that she will it's uh it's just not reasonable for me to think that she's going to throw herself off a cliff when i die right now i'm hoping she doesn't have a party but at the same time i also realize she's not going to probably throw herself off a cliff she's going to more a little, and then eventually she'll go on with life as people do. She will take another man into her bed. And when this happens, that means there's going to be some guy fucking my wife, right? And I can't do anything about the fact that there's going to be some other dude stooping my wife. But I'll be damned if I got to leave that son of a bitch really good cigars and really good booze. See, that I can control, right? So that has been my mantra ever since I came to that realization that, Fuck that guy, okay? <laughs> I'm going to smoke all the good shit. I'm going to drink all the good shit. I'm not going to hold back on any of it because I'll be damned if I'm going to let that guy fuck my wife and smoke my cigars and drink my booze. So that is why you should smoke your good cigars and not just save them because you might get hit by a bus tomorrow. And the that's guy that's going to be doing your wife is
0: going to be smoking those cigars, my friend. Fair point. It's a fair point. Yeah. <laughs> I thought you honestly were to tell the story about like your father-in-law, uh, about the, the cigars that you were saving.
1: Oh, so you never heard that bit of
0: wisdom, huh? No, I haven't. This is the first yeah, this oh, is the first well, time that I've go. heard this one. So free, gratis. For your birthday, sir. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Do what you will with it, but smoke your good shit. Don't All save right. it, man. All right. No point in it. You don't know what tomorrow brings.
0: That's a true story. True story, sir. Uh, fantastic. Um, by the way, this is smoking uh just as good as ever. Love this size.
1: Yeah, it's so, one of my favorites. It's a shame it's discontinued, but I'll, but
0: I'll, but I'll bring it back. Fuck them if they can't take a joke, Steve. That's what I said. You no,
1: know, it's it's just a question of uh, it's commercial. It's yeah. like the shelves; they only have so much space, right? Um, and the Lonsdale is the least popular size by far. I mean, it's not even so the cigar that I love. This is true a lot of times. The cigars that I love are not always the ones that are the commercially the most successful. Sometimes the stars align, like with Saka Khan and Papa Saka. You know, other times, no. I mean, Cervantes Vino, I love that that cigar. Toto Slas Diaz. Even though I stopped it because of a tobacco issue, it was still my least selling brand. Okay. So so I mean, it just simply was. Right. Because I mean, had brulee been the one that was selling less, I would have stopped brulee production to make to make Toto Slas Diaz. Right? right, I mean, yeah, so, it's I mean, a
0: business decision. You, uh, I mean, yeah.
1: it all, it always is a business decision to a point. You can you can do certain little things that you know, like I get away with Brulee Blue, but honestly, had Brulee Blue been just packaged as regular Brulee, without it being designated differently, retailers wouldn't buy that cigar. They just wouldn't. It's I have several I have several it,
0: boxes of it so I don't I mean you, It's the fact
1: that it's carved out and it's identifiable and a certain consumer is able to recognize it as being different so if right. they try it that they realize oh this is a really really great cigar right but had brulee blue just been made as a brulee cervantes fino and put with the brown band with no difference in any packaging at all I don't think it would be nearly as successful as it is. And and that's the way I feel about Cervantes Fino. I don't think Cervantes Fino, you know, really it needs a little bit of it needs a little bit of seasoning on it to get consumers to really take a chance and pay attention to it. So, it's definitely worthy of it, it's, it's one of the best.
0: Salita, so so do just solved your problem there?
1: Well, I so I've already I've already taken Cervantes Fino and I've already Slightly improved the blend. Okay. So I'm going to bring Cervantes Fino back. Not probably not in 2024. i'm like 2020. Yeah. What year are we in? I don't know. 23? 23. Yeah. I doubt it'll be 2024. It might be the tail end of 2024, but it's more likely to be 2025. But the problem with 2025 is I'm bumping into the anniversary of Sober Mesa because that'll be the 10th anniversary. And I have another cigar made for the tenth anniversary already. So oh. I don't know. I, I I haven't I haven't figured this. The cigars are done. I haven't figured out the branding and the release strategies yet. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah, I mean. So speaking of it, like you obviously you went to the you're rebranding this the Sober Mesa because you have Brule Brule Blue. So you didn't want any brand confusion. So you you're designating it the Solita. Um, why did yeah, you Why did you feel just... it was necessary?
1: Because when you talk to consumers and you say, oh, this is Sober Mesa, this is Sober Mesa Brulee, and this is Sober Mesa Brulee Blue, and this is just Sober Mesa. Just Sober Mesa doesn't sound good. The old one doesn't sound good. The original even sounds kind of staid, you know what I mean? And it just doesn't do justice to the product, you know? So how do you, you know, when there was just one Sober Mesa, it was fine. It was Sober Mesa. But now that there's different Sober Mesa's just to make it easier on consumers, to make it easier on purveyors, um, to give the brand some identity of its own. So that way, you know, if we decide to do another Sober Mesa down the road, there'll be a way to have another moniker go along with it. and It'll make sense. You know what I mean? So changing Sober Mesa to Sober Mesa Salita is the smart thing to do I, I was going to do it two years ago because part of this is also reducing the packaging count to 13. um my plan was to do this in 2021 uh but oh, COVID really?
0: hit okay
1: yeah was it was it 2021 i can't even keep track of COVID. 2020 anymore. is when it's it 20. yeah 2020 so my plan was to originally do this in 2020 at the end of 2020 but then cigars got crazy And then the box makers got so jammed up. I was already having problems getting boxes for everything. Why was it going to take a product that was selling in a 25 count box and put it in a 13 count box, which would double my box problems on Sober Mesa? So I just delayed it until this year when the box makers are finally to the point now that they're asking for work again. So because I got to make twice as many boxes as I made before.
0: Yeah, I mean, I like the box size change, uh, just because it's. I mean, I mean, it certainly makes it easier for me, Um, and yeah,
1: it makes it easier for everybody. Look, cigars have become, I mean, cigars have become so expensive that buying a whole box when it's a twenty-five count box on almost all the decent cigars in the marketplace, we're we're north to three hundred. We're between three and four hundred dollars a box, right? Yeah, it's just there's no way around it. So by doing the smaller 10 and 13 count style boxes, it keeps the price down where it's almost always a sub $200 purchase out the door for the consumer. So it's just easier, you know. Now, well, that's granted, what makes and,
0: Sin so approachable and even Western sock was so approachable. You can grab a box of that without killing yourself.
1: Yeah, but, but when you buy a box from Westra, you're really getting seven cigars, right? Right. But you're getting seven cigars. Uh, retail is what. Retail is like one forty-five MSRP, yeah. but you find it at the map, which is fifteen points off. Probably find that pretty rarely for like one twenty-eight, right? Walking out the door. Yeah, one twenty-eight is uh, one twenty-eight is a family of four at Applebee's, right? It's it's doable, you know. Wow. But if the De Asacas came in twenty-five count boxes then that would be a $580 box of cigars. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it, the prices have just gotten, the costs have just gotten too high, which in turn makes the prices too high. You know, I don't know if it's too high is right, but it just is. Even when yeah. I was like in, even when I was like buying Habanos, I used to always love the 10 count Habanos boxes. They weren't very popular. I always liked them because it gave me a way to buy a whole bunch of different selections and samples of different things. And, you know, more than a couple singles here and there. I still got the the open-the-box experience, that Christmas morning feeling. So, I mean, we all like to buy boxes, right? I mean, sure, everybody likes to buy the box if they can. I I know there's some people out there that are like, I'll never buy a box. I get too
0: bored, yada, yada, yada. We know Aaron, Aaron Nielsen loves to buy boxes, so that's like his thing, so... (laughs)
1: <laughs> but most mo- most consumers once they get experienced and they figure out what they like and what they don't like they tend to prefer to make box purchases when they can and, and having a smaller count box facilitates that
0: definitely so on the topic of moisture to Saka so this year you release another you release another one the Krakatoa the long anticipated Krakatoa um yeah, the
1: long delayed Krakatoa I don't know about anticipated but delayed for sure.
0: This one, this one you, you've been talking about for a couple of years now. I know that it's been, it's been kind of, you know, it's been, it's been discussed and everything. And there you really, it seemed to really, really challenge you. Like the tobaccos just weren't coming together the way that you wanted. A lot of things just weren't happening the way that you wanted. I mean, I mean, that takes a lot of, that takes a lot of patience and, you know, you're not your small family business. Steve, we talked about this before. It's not like you, Have the luxury of, you know, just sitting around and watching money just sit there.
1: But you more so have less of a luxury of fucking things up.
0: It's fair. You
1: know what I mean? So actually, it's much more detrimental to you when you rush stuff out the door, when you're not happy with it. Look, you're going to make cigars and not everyone's going to love them. You know that. But you at least want to be happy with it when you send out the door thinking it's right. Because, I mean... The impact is tremendous when you're a small company. I mean, literally one really bad muestra, it would put a dent on the line. Right. you know how many consumers, because they're seven in a box, they buy the muestras blindly. I mean, a lot of boxes of muestra sell before consumers ever tasted the first cigar out of the box, right? So
0: I did that with Unstolen Valor.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, you have to, it's really, it's really on me to make sure that what's in the box isn't shit or even subpar, even mediocre. I mean, when it comes to taste, look, we're going to see this with Wagashi. Wagashi is an amazing mild cigar, but it's a mild cigar. If you don't like mild cigars, you are not going to like the Sobra Mesa Brulee Wagashi. You should just skip it because it's just, you're not going to be happy with it. It's it's mild, that's what it was intended to be. Wagashi is a delicate Japanese dessert, right? That's what wagashi is, and that's what the cigar is too. So I can't I can't um I can't say that somebody's gonna like everything, but I don't ever want there to be something that's inferior or subpar in the box. Sure. You know what I mean? It's a question of do you like this profile, do you like this strength, do you like these flavor notes? I mean the thing is and as I make more, it forces you to go a little bit more afield to make things interesting so that they don't end up being, look, it's okay that Mickey Rita, Mickey Rita Tricky Truck, and Mickey Rita Black, the, the Venn diagram on those cross all over the place, right? Sure. They're very similar blends, and you can push Umbagog in there, and you can push Red Meat Lovers in there. They're five different things, but yet they're all very similar in a lot of ways. If you like one, you're probably going to like them all and you'll probably have one or two of the blends that's your favorite. Um, But when you start making these exclusives and these muestras and other brands, they need to have enough uh, difference in them, diversity in the blends that they have a purpose other than it just being a new product with a new name so that you get those initial sales. Because if I just made more of the same I would just be taking some of my customers and moving them to my next new brand. And that's not really the intent. The intent is to gain new consumers, people who don't currently smoke Dunbarton where there isn't something in the portfolio that really, you know, you know, gives their skirt a lift. You know what I mean? So for guys that love me carry the tricky and the strong stolen valor and whatever else they might Smoke a Wagashi, go. Okay, it's a good cigar, but it isn't really for me. But there's going to be other people that, I mean, there are consumers that think my cigars are super strong, and there's other consumers that think they're not strong enough, and that's always going to be the way it is. And uh, but there's definitely a consumer for Wagashi, and I think, uh, and I think it's, and I think with that consumer, look, and it doesn't mean that someone that does smoke heavy doesn't ever want a Wagashi. Look, I occasionally want a Wagashi, but. Yeah, it's a morning smoke for me. It's a first cigar of the morning. Are you going to make it long? Because you're already yawning. And I, 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 obviously, I'm being incredibly boring here. I'm, I'm uh, get-
0: well, here you go, Steve. Yeah, I was actually uh, not yawning. I was trying to get something out of my teeth that I was eating from dinner earlier. But, but I appreciate the call out. I appreciate the call out. <laughs> that, that's appropriate. Uh, but that being said, what the uh, with Krakatoa. What what did, what about it was so difficult, and what differentiates it from like? So what I
1: want with Krakatoa at first, I was like, "Oh, I'm gonna make a really strong, spicy cigar." That was my original intent. Okay, and then I was kind of like, and then it was just like, "Well, this just tastes like something that Pepin makes, right?" And there's nothing wrong with what Pepin makes, but how does me making a Nicaraguan cigar that's just really super strong and bitey really make it unique or special? So then I was like, you know what? What if I tried to make a cigar that was like the way a really strong cigar tastes and smells after it's been in your humidor for like a decade? So you get this really strong spicy cigar, you know, with all of this heavy Nicaraguan filler material, you put it in your humidor and then 10 years later, it takes on this very mature, almost kind of mustiness, almost kind of a sweet cedar sharpness kind of characteristic. It's very hard for me to describe um, probably half of what would be better at it than me, but there's definitely a, there's a certain, there's a certain flavor, aroma and texture to those type of cigars. Right. Mm-hmm. And that became the new goal to make the blend was to try to make it taste like that, but to do it without me making a cigar and putting it on the shelf for 10 years, because I am a business and that's just not practical for Little Dumbarton tobacco and trust that's that's practical for you know the Fuentes that they want to do it, but it's not practical for me. So, um, so that that became the goal post, and that's uh, that proved to be a really that's a really tough goal post to aim for. You know, how do you make something taste 10 years old that isn't 10 years old?
0: Absolutely, I, I think the I thought the interesting thing about the Krakatoa. Like you said, was a little bit the the spice level was a little bit different than some of the other ones and uh, the other cigars and everything. I really like the Western Saga series. There's like with the 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 only reason I say the exception, I still haven't smoked a unicorn. Um, uh, but I know it's like bad everyone bad. everyone everyone I know that has says it's the best cigar that you've ever made. So I mean that's I mean that's uh, not, that's that, some high that, praise. That's
1: not
0: true. you think it's palated? No, no, I think it's
1: I think it's. uh I think it's man, I spent a hundred bucks. What am I gonna say? Unless I'm gonna say it's the best cigar ever. You know what I mean? What choice do you have?
0: You know what I'm saying? You idiot. can say you could say it's not worth a hundred bucks. I mean, I mean, there's people out there that I'm sure. we all know it I isn't just... worth
1: a hundred bucks. I, I'm the first to say it isn't worth a hundred bucks. So I mean, I it wouldn't bother me for other people to say it. I I'm the one that go to our website and just look at our description. Actually, on our website, we tell you it isn't worth a hundred bucks. In the it is.
0: It West. is. It isn't worth hundred bucks, but yeah, we're gonna have a hundred dollar price tag on it. So, like, go get it anyway. Go get him, Tiger. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Um. But no, I've always liked the. I've always liked the Moisture Saga series. But let's talk. Let's talk about this. So, okay, you 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 stepped in here. So I was actually gonna save this a little bit. Okay. So, like, let's 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 talk Turkey here a little bit. You always challenge me on to bring in the tough questions, and I let this pass. Like every fucking time we talk. Where okay. does the self-deprecation come from, Steve? Because you're one of the most confident people I've ever made when it I've ever met, especially when it comes to what you know what you're talking about, which obviously is tobacco and cigar making. But yet yeah. the thing that you are most good at in this world, like you still love you still levy the shit and the hate towards yourself. It's like the most bizarre fucking thing I've ever heard in my life. Like, where does it come from? Why why do you do that?
1: Uh, probably a lack of confidence, probably being the fat kid. You know what I mean? Uh, maybe, I don't know. Um, look, I'm critical of everybody in a really brutal way sometimes, right? You can ask my poor wife, you can ask my children, um, but I'm I'm definitely the most critical of myself. I mean, I've always been that way. I mean, it's just just my nature to be critical, to be... I'm, I'm not the gla- guy that the glass is half full. I'm the guy that glass is half full and has a fucking crack in the bottom, right? That's that's just, it's always been the way it's been. And, you know, in some ways, that sense of um not wanting to fail, always feeling like you're on the edge of failing, like you're on the edge of disappointing people. Yeah, I mean, it's just it's part of who I am. I mean, I'm sure it isn't healthy. I'm sure it manifests its way. Well, obviously you look at my, lovely physique um you know i mean it's, uh, it's i very don't know. lovely
0: steve but it's, that's beside the point
1: but I, i'm just saying there's you know it, it it's it's it is weird because at the same time that you say i'm self deprecating other people say i'm the most arrogant fuck they've ever met
0: that, but that's what i'm so, talking about but when it when so you talk about it? tobacco I- right no like that's what i'm talking about when you when you're talking when we're talking cigars and we're talking tobacco mhm like there there there's a level of mastery, and I know you hate that word, and I know the industry hates that word, but there's a level of mastery and like level of knowledge with every time that we talk about. It. I learned something new from you every time we talk, particularly about tobacco. It's specifically mm-hmm. about cigar making and the whole process and everything the 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 way that you talk about yeah,
1: but it, most of, but most of the knucklehead you talk to are sales weenies they they don't know they don't know a from b from c from d yeah but we're right? not talking so about them we're
0: talking about you and that's that's the thing that's really weird but I, what i would say
1: to you bear is that if you spent time in the factories you would talk to people that are far more knowledgeable than me okay right that's fair. It, just happens to be, it just happens to be i'm the idiot that speaks english and is really familiar with what they're doing. Right. Okay. And I'm able to convey and share what I have learned with other people. You know sure. what I mean? Right. So, I mean, a lot of that is just just simply that. And then the other thing is, as I said before, and, and this is not to take anything away from the sales guys. They're absolutely essential. Look, I'm a sales guy. I'm a marketing guy. I'm the janitor. I'm everything. I'm a small company. So you have to do everything. Right. So to a degree, I am. Um, but, you know, most people that, you know, do those jobs, uh, you've spent as much time in a factory as they have, you know, visiting and getting tours. Uh, you've probably spent more time talking cigars and tobacco than they have. I mean, they simply get told what to say. And often what they get told to, to say isn't even true. It isn't even accurate. It's just this is the way we want to package and position this. And this is a story that we want to tell. And the thing is, who's going to challenge them on it? The only people can challenge them on it is the few people that know. And when you start speaking up about it, then it's just you throwing stones because you're they're your competitors. So there's no there's no good advantage for me to, you know. Say, well, that's a bullshit story or that doesn't make any sense or that's nonsense. You know what I mean? Right. It just makes you look like a total asshole. Now, when we have a conversation about something where you say to me, hey, uh, Steve, what's Medio Tiempo? And I explain what Medio Tiempo is. uh, then Maybe it takes some luster off the story. Okay, but it isn't me directly attacking what they're saying or what they're doing. It's me just explaining the, what medio tiempo actually is and what it actually means and how it came to be. Um, so, I mean, look, that, that's definitely an advantage to be able to be able to do that. But by no stretch, I mean, I think in anything, the more you know, the more the more you realize how little you actually do know. You know what I mean? That's fair. it's like everything. Look, there, there's a guy who has spent the last 40 years of his life and all he does is touch leaf. He sorts leaf. He builds polones He checks temperatures. He wets tobacco. He breaks that pallone down. He builds that pallone up. That's all he's done for 40 fucking years. Okay. That guy knows way more, right? Just from the feel, the touch, the smell, the sight, than I could ever possibly know, right? There's just no way I can compete with his level of knowledge. Now here's the dilemma. That's all he knows. He can't make cigars. He probably may or may not be able to buy tobacco. He's definitely not going to be able to sell cigars or brand cigars or distribute cigars or do all the things that are necessary, all the legal and all of this other stuff. And that's the way most of our industry works. It's very segmented. There are people that work in fields and there are people that work in barns and there's people that work in pre-industry and there's people that work in factories. There's people that work in accounting and sales and marketing and branding and i mean every company you deal with all the large companies they have brand managers right right every every large company has an individual brand manager that's supposed to be the steward of that brand but that brand manager isn't the guy that's actually creating the blends or choosing the tobacco or saying oh this for this pologne's ready this pologne isn't ready oh i want you to bump this one up Yeah, I know we've been only letting it go to 118, but I really want to force it a little bit. Let's push it a little harder. You know what I mean? They're they're not involved in that way. Right. In my case, I regretfully or or thankfully am. But it's part of the fact that we're just so rinky-dink that there's nobody else to do it.
0: I mean, that's true, and it's not, though, Steve. Like, I mean, just in some of those descriptions right there, I learned a couple of things, you know. But like, that's, but that's my point is that like, you know, that you say half the people say that you're like in the most arrogant person that you've ever met. And then some people say like, you're self-deprecating and like, which is it? That's why it's kind of confusing to me. It is, it is both. And that's, I think that's why it's so confusing. Like,
1: no, look, I'm, I'm confident. You should be. I know, I know that we're doing an exceptional job. I know that we're making really exceptional cigars. I know that we're standing toe-to-toe with anybody. But I also know that we're a small family business still that can be squashed at a moment's notice by any of the big companies. They have all the wherewithal. Yeah. They have everything. They have the money, they have the resources, they have the teams, they have the sales people, they have the marketing people, they have the social media people, they have everything. They have more, way more tobacco. Good God. Out of all that tobacco, you don't think they can make some amazing fucking cigars? They just don't. Why? Because They don't because they don't care about the the connoisseur consumer. They don't care about the guy that's the hardcore cigar smoker. Uh, what that lady wants is irrelevant to them because they're the McCormick Spice Company. They're trying to get the middle customer. They're trying to get the bell curve customer, the one that smokes the two to four cigars a week, the one that if it draws well enough, burns well enough, doesn't taste like shit. You know what I mean? The branding, you know, somehow speaks to their lifestyle and is it a price point that's very reasonable and within most wallets, then that's the product, right? They're not sure. they're not catering to you. They're not catering to me. They're not catering to the most of the customers that have been Dunbarton customers for probably the first five, six, seven years of the company, right? You're not their target. We're not it. We're we're so fringy for them. We're irrelevant to them, right? And I mean, look at any, go to any Facebook smoking group and just look at the cigars that people say, wow, that was really great. Oh, I really love that. It's like just shit after shit, after shit, after shit. Mediocrity, 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 mediocrity. You see it on almost every single one of these groups. And and I look at it and go, man, that poor bastard knew that he could smoke this from this company or that from that company or that from that company for the same dollar number. He'd be getting such a better cigar. But that's just the way it is. Most cigar consumers are just not very astute. And as a result, the companies that manufacture cigars are making for that consumer, they're not making for the Dunbarton guy. Right. That that just That isn't their customer. And let's be honest. Let's just think about this for a moment. Let's say they did make something that was just incredible, amazing, absolutely phenomenal. Us pricks wouldn't give them a chance a day. Wouldn't give it a chance. We would pass right over it, right? That was going to be my next question. That makes all the mediocrity all the in the middle all the okay all the decent all the fine okay so we as consumers wouldn't even give them the love if they did it
0: yeah I mean that's I mean I smoke a lot of I smoke a lot of the big company stuff and there's some cigars that I really enjoy but they get passed over by a lot of people like you said because the people in our crowd don't give them don't give them a chance today because they've been burned so many times and there's just so yeah. much there's so much memory mediocre mediocrity and everything but like you said you can't afford mediocrity that's no, the
1: i can't size. you know heck if i if i become a if i become a big company i can become average too
0: that's so unfortunate
1: it's the only way you can you have to be a big company in order to be average
0: that's just so sad. It's true. It's just is. It's just so sad. No, think about it. If like if I want to put out if I want to put out truly exceptional product, I have to sacrifice scale.
1: Yeah. But look, you could do small scale in large scale. I mean, look, when I was at Drew, when we originally started League of Vermont, it was small scale in a much bigger scale factory. So you can do small within large. But here's the problem that you have. There's no commercial reward for doing so in the short term. And these big companies, I mean, if they launch a brand and they don't do three, four million dollars out of the gate that first year with it, they consider it a flop. You know what I mean? So whereas, look, when I left Drew Estate, what? It was like we launched Leos in 2017. I left in what, early 2013, is that right? Yeah, early 2013. We had number 9, T52, and quite a few Unicos at that point. And it still wasn't a $3 million brand. You know what I mean? And it's after six years. No, it's fantastic cigars, five years. Let's say five years. Five years, fantastic cigars, fantastic blends, great branding, great packaging huge sales team great we had everything and yet still it doesn't register for the big companies it's such a heavy lift you know and in the case of drew it was even a heavier lift because you had to convince consumers that were used to like just putting you in the flavored or excuse me infused tobacco box right so you had to get them to actually give you a chance
0: Going back to, um, again, just kind of like some of these decisions. Again, staying small, but working stuff. I'm curious about this decision. So I know, I know it has to do with brand ownership. Uh, you know, you had the opportunity to create the Red Meat Lovers Club, the original one that I showed you a few moments ago. Um, right. And then now you've now you decided to take the like I guess take ownership of the brand is not really accurate because you've always had the brand, but to take ownership and make it national.
1: I've never owned the brand. That's that's the reason why it's national. The owner of the brand is Evan Darnell. He owns an organization called the Red Meat Lovers Red Meat Lovers Club, right? right. Our, Red Meat Lovers is his. That's his trademark, his property. Okay. Okay. Um, I was just the guy that got tapped with making – a few cigars for a charity dinner in South Florida that were branded with red meat lovers. And then that moved into becoming a store exclusive that we repeated, I think, five times. And by the time we got to the end of the fifth time, we were doing many thousands of those every as an annual release as an exclusive for for Smoke In, And um, Evan wanted the brand to go nationwide. He wanted it to be on the shelves of everywhere. And there was multiple reasons for that. Um, you know, it's easy to just say it's because of greed, but that isn't fair um to him. Part of it is also red meat lovers is his business. The cigar part isn't, right? Um, but he wants to he wants to serve red meat lover cigars at all the dinners. But how can you do that when you're doing dinners associated with Jeff at Corona? And yet you're going to serve the cigar that's exclusive from smoke in. You know what I mean? How do you do that with Casa de Monte Cristo? It, it just doesn't work. Right. So he really wanted the brand to, to go nationwide. I really didn't. I liked the way it was before because it was nice and simple and easy. You know, every year I know how many to make, you know, able to pre-orders in the early spring I would make exactly the right number and they would all be sold in November. Nice, clean, easy check. Required no packaging because I didn't have to sit on a shelf. But in the end, I owned the blend but I don't own the brand Red Meat Lovers. So Evan always has the ability or had the ability to get anyone to make Red Meat Lovers. Nice. And ultimately, I told him, look, I don't really want to do it but it's your brand. Go shop it around. If you can find a company that's willing to do it, then come back to me. And he found a company that was. And when he came back to me, I was like, like okay, I want to be the guy that does it. Then I don't want that company to do it. And so now it's done, released nationally. But he will make less money on red meat lovers. And so will I. Unless the brand gets to a certain size. If we get to the point that the brand is doing a million dollars or more a year, then it will end up being more profitable. But in the beginning, it's definitely not going to be. The old way was much easier. Well, of
0: course. Yeah. One store, one stop, one location, everything.
1: You also knew exactly what to make. You knew how much tobacco to have. Now, I've been making, I mean, we launched Red. We we debuted Red Meat Lovers to the trade show. We started shipping it about two months ago, but I've been making red meat lovers since like January. I've made red meat lovers every month since January. I've got hundreds of thousands of red meat lovers with my cash tied up in it, in cool rooms, boxes being made. You know what I mean? It's like there's a lot of money sunk in it now, so there's a lot of risk, where the other way, there was zero risk. And I made more money. He made more money, and the cigars were cheaper to consumers too. The other way, you know? so But how I many did the you make? Way, some... Only a very limited number of consumers ever got to smoke Red Meat Lovers. And the other way, it didn't help with what his core business is, which is his Red Meat Lovers Club, which is you know about doing these. Um... He has three words he calls, and I I, I apologize to Evan, but it. I mean, part of it's camaraderie, part of it's philanthropy, part of it's networking. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. That's part of what he's doing with his organization, and having a cigar that he can serve, regardless of who he's partnering with, works to works better for him. And I and I understand it, so I get it. And it's a good cigar. I, 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 and Look, I so. The the one question I have that's gonna be something I won't be able to answer for two, three years is does it gain Dunbarton new customers or do some of my meat Rita customers now just become red meat lover customers?
0: Well that that was gonna be my question, Steve. Like you've got you've got a lot of you've got a lot of eggs in the broadleaf basket. And you were talking mm. earlier about you used the term squash, getting squashed by the big people. You know, and that can certainly take shape in a lot of different ways, you know. One of them is their ability to hoard more tobacco. Um, Now, I know you've got a sensational partnership with a couple of Mm -hmm. great factories. Noxa being one of them, their Broadleaf's always been incredible and stuff, but even them, they don't have an unending supply.
1: Yeah, but here's the way it kind of works with them. So, at Noxa, they're the ones that produce my Broadleaf cigars. We have an Oliva Tobacco Company is a joint partner in that factory. And so it's in that factory's best interest that Aliva Tobacco Company, in concert with me, does everything possible to make sure we have Broadleaf to continue growing the Mikay Rita family, the Broadleaf family of cigars. It's really important to the factory in order for that to exist so there's a lot more impetus than a lot of other situations you know what i mean so it doesn't mean that we'll always achieve it because look you have no control i mean look many large factories Abdal runs out of broadleaf Papine runs out of broadleaf I and mean, we have quite a few companies that have just switched products that used to be broadleaf to another wrapper because they've just given up trying to get broadleaf and yet, just say I it mean,
0: Pennsylvania. That's what's happening.
1: Yeah. but the Or thing San is-
0: Andreas, or they're changing it to San Andreas. Uh, or look,
1: I'm not a big fan of Pennsylvania sea leaf as a wrapper. I find it a little too sharp and I find it a little too rough, but yeah. that's a flavor thing, right? So I get it. There's going to be people who are going to like it. I love San Andreas, but neither San Andreas nor Pennsylvania sea leaf are a good one to one trade for Connecticut broadleaf. Right. Connecticut Broadleaf has a very certain taste and texture to it. Mm -hmm. It's got this really nice, loamy, rich farm soil earthiness to it. It's also got this really inherent sweetness. It's got these really nice chocolatey undertones that none of these other wrapper varieties give you to the same degree. Broadleaf has a very specific flavor to it, and that makes it unique. And even the broadleaf that we're growing in Nicaragua at this point, and I'm sure there'll be plenty of Nicaraguan broadleaf cigars in the marketplace over the upcoming years, because a lot of people have been growing it. I just Uh, don't think it tastes the same. It just doesn't. You know what I mean? Right. So look, some tobaccos I like better when they're grown in a foreign place. I like Ecuador Sumatran wrapper way better than I like Sumatran grown Sumatran wrapper. I find Sumatra from Ecuador tastes way better than Sumatra from Sumatra, okay? But when it comes to broadleaf, I still think Connecticut-grown broadleaf is better than any of the other broadleaves I have tried from anywhere else. Now, that's my opinion. I can tell you that from an advertising, marketing perspective, there is going to be a very big push in the upcoming years to tell you, the consumer, that Nicaraguan broadleaf is the next latest, greatest, best thing ever because they have no choice because that's what they have available to them. And that's going to be even more difficult next year, because this year's crop was a total disaster. They had not, they had all sorts of blue mold problems.
0: Um, I, I haven't enjoyed it terribly. Not to say that I won't, and not to say that all of them are bad. I just haven't really enjoyed it as much as I like genuine U.S. broadleaf. To your point... Sure where you are too and
1: let me say this so uh so we've been growing broadleaf in a couple farms that i work really closely with and we are in our fourth year now of growing broadleaf seed in nicaragua and we have finally realized a couple different things about how to grow it that makes it better than the way we were originally growing it it And I'm not going to share that out loud because it's kind of a trade secret of this particular farm. Um, But it took a while to come to this conclusion because it's not intuitive and it's not the way you would naturally do things when you're talking about how you place your crops. Um, But every year it gets a little better. So we are going to get to a point that it's going to become a good wrapper. But in my opinion, it's never going to replace Connecticut broadleaf. I don't see anything about any of the Central American grown broadleafs to date that make it challenge the flavor profile of the original. Now, here's the problem. The original is becoming more and more difficult to get. It's becoming more and more costly to work with it. Um, and maybe eventually uh, we'll have no choice. I can tell you right now. I have no intentions of making anything more in broadleaf at this point as a brand. Um, I might do, you know, a, a shop exclusive, you know, 500 boxes of something, a thousand boxes, you know, something, you know, 10,000 cigars, who cares? But I have no current intention of adding any more Broadleaf to the, to the mix brand wise. Uh, Red Meat Lovers was really kind of pushed me to my edge. It
0: really has. Yeah, and that's kind of, that was going to kind of be my point was like, you know, I mean, I can certainly appreciate all your expressions, and I do. Um, But again, with the red red meat lovers and everything, I was just like, because you've talked about, I mean, you were the one who actually educated me and used this terminology for the first time to where I understood it, which was cannibalizing your own product. Right, and so like that was that was kind of my initial onset. It was like, okay.
1: Well, if you look I, at red like meat, it.
0: members, it's
1: one of the reasons why I made it all trunk press. The only one okay. I didn't trunk press. Look, the original red meat members that you have, right? The six by fifty six. Which at the beginning, I don't know if anyone heard this. It's my least favorite of them. It was the first one, right? Right. I like the second year, which was the same cigar, a little better than the first year. Hey, I get a little better as time goes on, um, but. I did not make that part of the red meat lovers brand. Um, The only one I kept was because it was just too weird and too kitschy not to was the beef stick, but the other three sizes and look, beef sticks are going to be the least seller. I can already tell you that it's six by 48. Interesting. Um,
0: Oh yeah. 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 Okay.
1: Yeah. So, but the other three, the robusto, the Toro and the Gordo, they're all trunk pressed. I decided to go all trunk pressed for a reason to provide at least some differentiation between, so you will not see a trunk-pressed meat carrier. Now, maybe you'll see a special meat carrier to black that I trunk-press, you know what I mean, in the future. Not that that's on my radar, but I'm going to leave red meat lovers being the trunk-pressed and I'm going to leave the others as pereos to provide some element of delta separation. And the other thing that I have to ask myself is, Look, I'm comfortable saying mekaterita, but most consumers aren't. Um, and the mekaterita packaging, I think the bands are quite elegant, but the yes. boxes are the boxes aren't much to look at, right? The original blue or the red—they're just very simple, you know, flat lid kind of hobnail style boxes. So, but does red meat lovers get a Sin, whole new? Customer. Sin's the
0: only one that's kind of like. All over the top elegant though. Like it's really nice. I really like the syncumber mesa boxes. But I think
1: the black box on Mickey Reader looks good because of the, the way the Paisley silk screen is. But it's the silk screen that makes the box what it is. Um I think the unicorn cabinets are really those are really yeah. fancy. Um oddly enough, the the most expensive box is the Sober Mesa box. Mm-hmm because of the papers and the edging strips that's interesting yeah i that's mean uh, look the sobra mesa boxes you know as manufacturers don't release boxes like that anymore that's true nobody makes that style of box it's way too cost prohibitive just the artwork the tooling the everything that you need to do to make that traditional dress box is just not it's just not practical anymore So it's really uh, something of a bygone era at this point. Uh, Everything has gone to much simpler, you know, they might have a fancy printed label, but they just kind of stick it on the interior of the box or the center of the box. You know what I mean? Not a lot of boxes with edging strips on them anymore. Not a lot of boxes that have the full, you know, the side seal, the warranty seal. That's uh, that's, uh, the full frame to frame Vista. With the with the edging strips, with the filates, that's uh, that's a uh, that's a pretty uh, pretty done thing, and you'll see companies now they'll do it, but they're now faking it by doing a cardboard box, and they just print the box to look that way, right? Right. But it isn't a true it isn't a true dress box the way the boxes used to be done. That's good. All right. Well. So what this... I'm thinking is I'm hoping that between the trunk press. The rather simplistic name, Red Meat Lovers, it's pretty self-explanatory. Everyone can pronounce it. Most cigar smokers like red meat. Uh, The simple bold red band, Um, the box presentation, maybe it'll attract a totally different uh, fly to the well. Maybe it'll be a new consumer. We'll see, time will tell.
0: Have you ever did you ever consider changing the name to Rita? The way that you've done with Salita. Good. Please don't. Yeah. I like it. Yeah. And I like the
1: Oh, I see what you're saying. No, I I can see somewhere where Mik Rita, the original Rita, will get its own name too. Because you have Rita Tricky Trock and you have me Rita Black. I I can see me just maybe just Mik Rita blue. Or something like that, you know. But nothing will change about the cigar. It'll it'll be the same thing as, you know, Sober Mesa Salida is just Sober Mesa. Mm -hmm. The box looks the same. The only the bands are the same. Cigars are the same. The only difference is the little cliche is now going to instead of saying Sober Mesa El Americano, it'll say Sober Mesa Salida Toro, and it's also part of just the brand now reaching a wider audience right I can get away with these cutesy names on the fringy stuff but it hurts the core stuff um, it's much better for the average retailer and consumer to just call a Toro a Toro a Robusto a Robusto a Double Corona a Double Corona and that's what we did in Sober Mesa Brulee. and you notice the Tricky Chaka I went to being the numbers equaling the size kind of wonder I wish I had done that was in compromisso maybe I was being a little too, uh, a little too clever by one.
0: Which will get us into some other questions here in just a second, but we do have to take a break for one of our fun segments, which is always brought to you by United cigars. And uh, Steve's appearance tonight is of course also brought to you by United cigars. Um, uh, Featuring Loggiano Ivana, distributed of Jose Dominguez, Bandolero, Garofalo, the Firecracker, and the highly acclaimed Adabe Bay, Byron, and now Alfonso Lines from Selected Tobacco. Smoke one today and start loving United. So, Steve, this is the presidential trivia segment. It's multiple choice. You've done this before. So um, in 1954, the Eisenhowers started this dreaded holiday tradition for presidents in the White House. Dreaded holiday Party. tradition. What's that? Yeah,
1: pardoning, the, pardoning the turkey.
0: Nope, uh, that's Thanksgiving. So this is Christmas. Um, but well, I missed uh, it. I'm
1: sorry. I was trying to listen. I was trying to look at something else. I'm supposed uh, to do a
0: Christmas thing. Yeah. So in 1954, the Eisenhower started this dreaded cro- uh, Christmas tradition. All was right, it? I love that. Was Christmas it? Tradition. Yeah. So was it a giving away fruitcakes to staff members? B seeking out Hallmark to create the first ever White House Christmas card. C. Hanging tinsel from the White House official tree. D hung mistletoe throughout the White House to attract kisses from other foreign heads of state.
1: Well it was Eisenhower. Had it been LBJ, I would have gone with the mistletoe, but I don't think Eisenhower <laughs> was that dude.
0: Um Johnson would have hung a mistletoe on his Johnson, dude.
1: But, yeah. I mean
0: and that's a that's a fact. I'm not trying to be grotesque. That's literally what he would have done.
1: Um, tinsel was really popular, but I don't think they adhere to that. Plus, they have eight million trees, so they probably have some tree with tinsel and some trees without tinsel. Because I mean, where they have like, I remember, I saw some documentary one time. They have like a hundred Christmas trees in the White House or some nonsense. Um, I'm gonna go with a fruit cake.
0: It's a good guess. Hanging tinsel yeah. sucks. Uh it's actually the it's actually the Christmas card. So it the, really? yeah, the Eisenhower sought out Hallmark specifically to create the first ever official White House Christmas card. And that was sent out. So do you send out Christmas cards? Have you ever done well,
1: funny you should say this? First off, personally, I don't do shit with the cards. Um but my wife does so Cindy.
0: Christmas. So Cindy does Christmas cards.
1: Got it. Cindy does. We have, as a company, have never sent out Christmas cards. Dave Lafferty and Cindy Sokka have decided that we should send our customers Christmas cards. Okay? At least our good customers Christmas cards. Okay. I think it's a total waste of time. I think it's utter bullshit. I did my part. I made a custom Christmas card. I gave it to both of them three weeks ago. I will be very surprised if they actually do the work to sign all these goofy cards and address all these envelopes and send them all out. So between you, me and everyone listening, I'm betting that I'm going to go on. Like when I come back on January 3rd or whatever date that is, I'm gonna ask, Oh, Hey, did you send the Christmas cards out? I bet they didn't, which will then even piss me off more Cause I didn't want to do it, but I made a special Christmas card and I delivered as I was supposed to. I, I just find them just, I don't know. I, do they matter? I mean, do you care about Christmas cards, Bear?
0: If I got one from you, Steve, I think that'd be really nice. Um, yeah. Shameless plug. <laughs> um, no, I, I think, I think um, yes and no. Um, I think it's a nice gesture. I think it, it's you know it, it, I think it's really nice to receive them, especially when you don't necessarily talk to people throughout the year. You know, it's like, hey, you you were thinking of me. That's really that's really nice. It's a nice gesture. I, I think so. I, I mean, um, I, I, I think I definitely enjoy receiving them more than giving them because, like you said, it's a little bit of a pain in the ass. Um, but um, but I think I mean I, I do think it's a nice gesture. Yes, so.
1: All right. Well, supposedly Dunbarton is sending out Christmas cards this year.
0: So, so did you? So you designed it. So I, I take it they they couldn't talk you into signing it too. It was either designing it or signing it. Yeah,
1: I'm not signing those fucking cards. Are you kidding me? <laughs> you know what? I would sign it. They do the work, and they get all the envelopes addressed, and they get everybody else to sign them. Yeah. Look, we're not going to send that manual. We'll send what a couple hundred. We're not sending them to all our. accounts. I'm only going to send them the ones that actually give us some real cash. So, I mean, yeah, I mean, yeah, I'd sit there and sign them. But I, I, I'm not going to bring it up. The fact that you brought it up may alert her because uh, some dopey person here is going to send Cindy a DM and say, Saka was saying she'll never do the Christmas cards, which means she will do the Christmas cards. Right. I want to if I want to motivate my wife to do something I tell her she's not capable of doing it or not that she's not capable that's the wrong way to say it, that she won't do it she won't accomplish it right so that that that's how Cindy because she just wants to prove me wrong you're such a there's no romantic, greater joy Steve. in life for Cindy Sokka so- than to prove Steve Sokka wrong so and so yeah so some real d. And uh, hey, Sokka was talking smack about you last night about you won't do the Christmas cards, which means she will. so
0: you're such a hopeless romantic, Steve your your marriage axioms tonight are just like they're just like off the chain like um but uh, okay, so the uh, so I mean how do, I mean how do you feel like you I guess you they're the same way you feel about birthday cards I'm assuming it's just like you really don't give a shit if you get it or not. Of utter
1: look for me, all of these things are about children. Birthdays are for children. Christmas are for children. You know, Thanksgiving is a little different. Thanksgiving is the whole family coming together. But all the, all the joyous parts of these kind of celebrations, for me, they center around the children. So, look, if you have young children, um, I think it's more special. Um, If, look, Sorry. if you treat Christmas as a time for family reunion, then, okay, I can understand why then it has a little bit more significance for you. But, uh, yeah, we... uh, But as a general rule of thumb, I'm pretty... uh, I'm not anti-Christmas. I'm not extra grinchy. But I always welcome the break, to be honest with you. That's the part I like about Christmas the most. It's just because, you know, look, the factories are going to... Let me look at my calendar here really quick. So... The last day in one factory will be the 8th. Uh, the last day in the other factory will be the 15th. And for us in our industry, things really, really just not much happens from about the middle of December until the day after New Year's, right? So it's one of those really odd, unique, quiet spots. I mean, most companies slow down in the holidays, right? But the cigar industry comes to a grinding halt. Right. Um, On our end, not for retailers. Retailers are, they do their Christmas parties and they got all their holiday stuff to do. But as a manufacturer, the factories are closing mid-December, right? The customers are retailers. They buy very little, you know, because if they don't have it on the shelf already, they're not going to get it in time. So, I mean, the uh, end of the first week of December, maybe about the December 10th, at that point, all real sales pretty much stop. You just do a little fill in. Hey, I need two boxes of Ancho Largo. I need a Sober Mesa Robusto. I need three of this. I need one of the, you know what I mean? But there's no major anything happening at that point. Um, you don't tend to do, even for the sales and the road warrior guys. They're not doing a lot of events. They might have one or two Christmas party events. They do, but everything really slows down a lot, much more in our industry than a lot of others. Um, so it's a it's a it's a nice little respite, you know, that we get in the holiday period. Problem is, it's never long enough. I really wish it was like 90 days long. That would be fantastic, but that's never going to happen. And then this year is going to be even more challenging because. Trade shows in March. It's going to be it's right. going to be bad.
0: That's my concern about this going into and I've mentioned this on a couple episodes. So I know my audience is just going to get bored with my point because I beat this dead horse into a ground. I don't think it's a problem this year, just because the it's you're going to have the quick turnaround. Uh, I think manufacturers are a lot more prepared. I'm sure you've got stuff that are ready. It's ready in the till. It's no, ready.
1: I think it's the opposite. I think it's going to be much more difficult.
0: Well, here's my concern. So think, like you're talking about the shutdown, right? And you and I know that retailers blow the doors off. Like they go fucking nuts. They want to push all the stuff out with the holiday, right? And it makes sense. They do. And they're going to try to push everything out because, again, at the end of the year, they don't want to pay inventory tax.
1: Well, right? some some places have floor tax. Other places don't.
0: Sure. Okay. But it overall, yeah. Or overall, most people don't want to pay the inventory tax. So, that means by the time that you guys start cooking again in January, and that's time that shelves for a lot of retailers, okay, not every retailer. There are some retailers that are better than others, and they're just always stocked, and they make plans this way, you know, it's because Jay Jay Davis got on me about this, but Jay is not the ordinary retailer. So, that's that's always my argument that Jay is, like, he's going to be prepared. He's going to have his shelves stocked year-round. But right. the... But for a lot of shelves, the average consumer is going to go into the average humidor and it's going to be barren until all until about February.
1: Well, won't be barren. What it'll be barren of is you have to understand when you go into most humidors, 70, 80% of that stock that they have on a shelf really is just not turning very much. And right. most humidors, it's 20 to 30 percent of the stock that's constantly flipping. And the rest of the stuff is just kind of there gathering dust. They'll sell a few of this, a little of that. They'll have some shit that they're never selling that they wish they had never bought that has just been occupying space forever. Um, right. the problem that you have is retailers just don't buy in the winter months. Doesn't matter that their inventory is light. They uh look, cigar sales, they they go down. Look, you can't smoke outside in a lot of places. Yeah, hardcore junkies like us, we're smoking cigars out 12, you know, 24-7. But that guy that's smoking on the golf course, he ain't doing that. The guy that's barbecuing in his backyard, he ain't doing that. The guy that's hanging out watching his kids in the pool, he ain't doing that. You know what I mean? So sales slow tremendously in the winter. So the retailers don't really actually have the money. They don't want to eat. They don't even want to buy. They only buy what they must buy, right? It's because, my God, I have people that are asking me for red meat lovers. So, therefore, I have to buy red meat lovers because I know as soon as it hits my shelves, it's going to sell really, really well. But they're very reluctant to buy really any serious inventory until spring is kind of broke. You know, when spring breaks and things are and that's 30 my 30 point. normal.
0: That's my point is that it's going to
1: happen is we're going to go into this trade show. And I think it's going to probably be one of the worst ever because the bulk of our customers are going to come to the trade show when spring hasn't broke for many of them. Um, I think part of the way I think is, I think, I mean, one of the benefits for us as a trade show is when we were doing in the summertime, you were instantly able to ship if you were ready and you could collect cash. Right. Um, It's going to be very hard to collect a lot of cash in March. It really is. And also, retailers are going to be very reluctant to commit even on future stuff because they haven't started to have cash roll in again. Right. So March is going to be kind of an ugly time for a trade show. Now, in the long run, The spring-to-spring schedule is the right way to go. Uh, March is a little too early. The year after is towards the tail end of April. That's much better. Right. Look, if I could pick the perfect date, the perfect date on the calendar would be May 15th. May 15th would be the absolute perfect, ideal date. That would be when the retailers have already started to have four to six weeks of like, Okay, they've said sales, they started to come back, things are good. You know what I mean? They start their cash reserves are starting to build up again. And yet, it also gives us two to three extra months to get new products out during the course of the remainder of the year before we end up in the dead of winter. I mean, you see it now. How many new products um, that were announced at the trade show really have been shipping October, November?
0: Right. That's, yeah. And then we're
1: going to go into early December, Right. Exactly. That's one of the reasons why I don't actually think we as manufacturers are going to have a lot of new stuff at the trade show. I could be wrong. I don't know what the other companies are doing.
0: I, I think, yeah, I think you are wrong, Steve, just because, again, the amount of new product that I saw, I think you were you were a huge exception. A huge exception to what I saw on the trade show floor this past year. Wow, um, we had a ton of new product this year. I know. That's what I'm saying. You're the exception. I saw I didn't see a lot of new products
1: overall. Oh, so you think that they're just going to make up for it in the next cycle? Maybe that'll be the case. And look, maybe that'll be smart because I'll be sitting there holding my dick without a lot new. And uh, that'll make it even less likely that retailers will give me uh, a decent payday. I mean, I've already pretty much told my team to expect PCA sales to be half of what they were this year. That's what I'm planning on in my mind. Is for actually a fifty percent decrease in sales at the March PCA versus a July PCA.
0: Yeah, that's. I I mean I'll, I'm interested to see what it does. I mean I'm excited about the change. I think overall, like you said, the spring to spring makes sense. So
1: long, long term, it's the best. Yeah. Going going to the spring to spring schedule is the ideal schedule. It's just it's gonna be a little rough this first go,
0: for sure. I know we got a little off track here, but that was our presidential trivia segment brought to you by United Cigars featuring Logian event and distributors of Jose Dominguez, Bandolero, Garofalo, the highly acclaimed Atabe, Byron, and now Alfonso lines from Selected Tobacco. Smoke one today and start living United. Now we've got a couple other fun segments here, but I, I kind of wanted to tie this into a couple of deep dives. that we'll do. We've already talked about the, the enigma that you are, the self-deprecation, the arrogance, <laughs> Right. But yet, there's this there's this overwhelming magnetism, and don't bother denying it, please. That you have.
1: Sexy as a motherfucker. What? <laughs> I said sexy as a motherfucker. Yeah. There you go. Yes, yeah.
0: indeed. So I'm a there's this. Batman alive. <laughs> there's there's this there's this there's this magnetism <laughs> that you possess. That's just again. And like, and like we say, like, you're, you're the most lovable curmudgeon of them all. Like you have the, you know, you know, uh, I've always appreciated you, Steven, you know that and we're close and we're friends. Um I've always considered yeah. you one. Um But, you know, I mean, for the average person who doesn't know you like I do, but yet, you know, so like you, when you, when you lay on the arrogance or you lay on the curmudgeoning You know, it can be. I'm sure it can be a little off putting to people who aren't expecting it.
1: Oh, it, 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 yeah, it woefully disappoints some. But it it answers others, that it disappoints.
0: But at the same time, like everyone, like so many people are drawn to you. Like events that you do are always fantastic. You know, and 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 Lafferty does a great job for you too. So he he puts on some fantastic events too. But but. You know, when you show up, it's a it's a it's a completely different draw. You know, why 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 do you feel like people are drawn to you? What do you think it is? I'm interested to hear your opinion on this. Without try not to be sarcastic.
1: Um. So, you notice what every single marketing company is like trying to do right now. Their primary thing the one thing that they are trying to make their product or their company be regarded as, as authentic. Uh, that That is everything that they do now. Right. Everything is to make this company seem more legit, more authentic. And um, I think that, I think that, For cigar smokers, for my customer, I am them. So there's almost kind of like a natural, inherent bond that I'm also. And I know you said not to be self-deprecating, but
0: I am the. No, I should don't be sarcastic. You're you're going to do the self-deprecation thing. It's like your staple.
1: But I am the slubby middle-aged. Cigar geek—that's who I am. That's who I was back in the late '80s, and I have been consistently that guy, you know, 30 years later. Um, and I think that I think that the way I talk in a podcast, the way I write in social media, the way I act at events. It's very consistently me. You know what I mean, right? I've never been one to look. I choose my words carefully sometimes, and sometimes I intend to not choose my words carefully. But I think that I think that in an age of it's not the golden age of advertising, where you know in the fifties everybody sucked out every little kernel that Madison Avenue fed them right? And that really pretty much went 50s, 60s, 70s. You kind of got to where we got to the Gen Xer guys, and we all became a little jaded at that point, right? Because we had now been steadily advertised and marketed to for 30-odd-plus years in a way that had never been done before. And I think that the subsequent generations have even had more of it. And I think the one thing that we as individuals, all of us being consumers crave, is authenticity. And I think that I am just simply who I am. And I think because they have been so marketed to that they have really good bullshit filters that are much more acute than the previous generations and i think that that rings true and in a world that so little rings true anymore i think that makes someone like myself um appealing uh and look and look and i'm in an industry that's full of bullshitters right well, look i bullshit too i mean i'm not above it but at the same time, let's not
0: forget the story about the melon. So yeah, keep yeah,
1: going. You know I mean, but it's it's, it's 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 different. You know what I mean? And I think, yeah. and I think, and I, I think it's I think consumers can sense that, and I think it's because they sense that that I tend to do well in this current environment. That's what I believe. Now, whether that's true or not, I I don't know the answer, but that's the only reason I can explain it because, look, I don't fit the prototypical. I'm not Latin. I'm not elegant. I'm not black tie. I'm not good. I don't look good in a suit. Um, My language, although I'm rarely capable at... I'm good at the English language, but I don't think anybody would accuse me of... uh, being a romantic speaker by any stretch of the imagination. Um, Yeah. I mean, uh, I I don't really fit the mold, but I think it's okay as long as I don't fit the mold because I truly don't fit the mold versus me trying to not fit the mold. You know what I mean? If I was trying to not fit the mold and that was my take on things, I think it would come off as disingenuous and I think today's consumer because of the amount of advertising and marketing they've had directed at them, they would quickly realize that it's really just disingenuous. So I I think it's that kind of uh, going back to it. I I think it's that authenticity factor um, for good, for bad, for whatever reason, you know, for the people that it alienates, for the people that it endears is one of the reasons why, I tend to do well.
0: Mm-hmm. I mean I think that's fair. I think that that's that's one thing that I know every time that I sit down with you like I'm not going to get despite the story about the melon because I think it's still funny. Um I think the like you said there's this this authentic self I'm never going to get the bullshit. I'm going to get the straightforward answer from you always. And I that's and the, again that's why I also appreciate your your challenge, your call to arms every time I do sit down with you. You always want to be challenged. You don't want to answer the same thing. You don't want to talk about the same shit.
1: Look, but and... on the catch, the flip side of that, look, we've had we've had a few retailers over the year that are like, I cannot stand him. I cannot stand soccer. And they'll never do business with us. And what I say is, fuck you. I don't care. I don't need your business. You know what I mean? And that's not the answer they want to hear. But I have this problem with a lot of the old guard retailers. They're so used to being pandered to and catered to. And they come from this old world thinking of the junkets. You know what I mean? And I consider many of them dinosaurs. And the fact that I say that out loud is just absolutely insulting to them. But the numbers are the numbers. The industry is moving in a certain way. There are retailers that are literally out there crushing right now. They're doing fantastic business. Okay. They just don't happen to be them.
0: That's what I was going to say. I think that's. They don't
1: understand why they're not them. They can't grasp why they're not them.
0: Okay. Well, every serious question I've lobbied, I've levied to you tonight, you tie back to something. This is something I was actually going to intend on asking you. And you've kind of teed me up really nicely here. You tie everything I've I've asked you. I mean, I've asked you some questions about your personality. And everything you've tied everything that I've asked you about your personality and everything, you tie back to marketing. So do you is it is your authenticity I don't want to I don't want to use this word it's gonna sound negative, Steve, and I don't mean it that way. Okay. But in the spirit of authenticity is what I'm saying here. Um but is your authenticity a marketing ploy?
1: Well, no, that's what makes it not a marketing ploy. What would make it a marketing ploy? was if I'm pretending to be authentic and what I'm saying to you is that today's consumer can look right through that. Mm-hmm. I think it's the fact that I am authentic, that it becomes the marketing. Okay. You know what I mean? Yeah. You can't, you can't fake. Well, uh, millions of people try to, sure. and it lasts for a while. But eventually it wears thin. I mean, the the veil can only last so long. I've been been in the public eye now in some manner since the early 90s, right? I mean, I kind of am who I am who I am. You know what I mean? I is what I is. There's not a whole lot of way to – there's no way to dramatically change anything. The only thing I could dramatically change is – if I would get my shit together and start eating better and working out, I could drop some pounds. Right. And probably my swagger would be a little better, but in the end, uh, I can't, the the spots are here. I am this leopard, right? I am the scorpion. It is my nature. Uh, That that's not going to change. I can't be packaged, which is also one of the reasons why I'm a really difficult company to acquire. Because what the fuck do you do with me? I would be a miserably bad employee, right? I really would.
0: We uh, we 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 talked about this at PCA this year about like the 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 future of Dunbarton Tobacco and Trust. What does that look like?
1: Yeah, I have no yeah. clue. And I mean, I have some inklings, but I mean, but I don't have any grand master plan. I can tell you that. I'm so, I'm so busy in the day-to-day grind. I'm just trying to, I'm I'm trying to make it through Wednesday right now. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah. I mean, your your volt, you know, your your aside here, you know, just for the sake of the sake of you the point. Be, You
1: wait a minute. You're going to have to give me a definition of Voltarianism. I don't
0: even know. Well, what I think for, I think for, therefore I am. You are what you are. You is what you is. That's you know. that okay. was. I was that was, I was taking some, uh, some license with, uh, with Voltaire there. Um, but the, I mean, if, if I would, if I was to, if I was to acquire Dunbar and Tobacco and Trust, yes, you might be a miserable employee, but you're also, I, and this is, and I'll ask this question and then I'll answer, I'll answer it too. Cause I have an answer for it. But I mean, do you consider yourself to be a marketing genius?
1: Yeah. I'm better at it than most. That's for damn sure.
0: I think you're I think you're exceedingly better than m- what you most have to understand is
1: I'm marketing to me. I am the consumer. So who better I mean right you understand these guys that are in these companies, they're not hardcore cigar guys. Right. They're lifestyle guys. They care about their golf game. They care about their trips to wherever. They care about their yacht. They care about their their Bitcoin position. They, you know what I mean? They're, they're into a million different things. I'm a cigar guy. I'm a cigar geek. I'm a tobacco nerd. That's what I am. So therefore, I just have to make shit that I like and that makes sense to me. And as a result it gets a certain consumer base. Now, can that consumer base build out to the average person? Maybe, maybe not. I mean, that's always the challenge you have as a small company. There's like like a variety of different humps you have to get through. And we're in the hump right now that's probably the most difficult of the humps. And that is going from being that really hot, uber sexy, boutique craft company to start garnering a more mainstream consumer can you get some mainstream consumers that will never know who steve saka is or give a fuck about dunbar or give a damn about its pedigree adopt the brand as part of their rotation
0: well and that's what i said that
1: is that is that is the that is the stage of where we are as a company
0: right now so are you a detriment to that or are you an asset to that? Because that's my point is I think you'd be, um, if I'm acquiring Dunbarton Tobacco and Trust, I'm absolutely dealing with the quote unquote headache that is you. Because like you said, you're a marketing genius, which I completely agree with. I think you're far better than most. I think you're probably the best in the industry. That's arguable. There's a couple others that I might put in your league. Yeah.
1: But also you gotta remember, it's also marketing only gets you to a point of getting someone to try a product. Sure. But in the end, the product has to speak for itself. It has to be and it, good.
0: And it does. Right? So, so right.
1: so, I mean, you have to still have a good product. Right. In the long run. You can't have a subpar product. You can market to a degree. Look, I'm not naming names. That's your job in the media to do. But we all know there are some companies that the best part of the company is the marketing. It's not the product. Right. Yeah. I think the, I think in the case of Dunbarton, I think the product is really superior, I think it's really worthy.
0: Yes. So I think that- That's the difference between you and Gurkha. There, I say, I name names, all right? That's the difference okay. between you and Gurkha, right? Is that the product and the marketing go hand-in-hand hand to, like, levy a superior experience to the consumer. Not only right. to the consumer, to your end customer, too. The retailer gets a superior experience as well, if they let I'll, it.
1: They're your partner, to a degree. I mean, right. They do no, no own shares in your company, but they're uh, they're deep. necessary in or in the process, right? And you you can see it, you could see um you can see some of our retail partners. You see you see people like smoking. It's Summer of Soccer, right? Six and a half foot soccer squatch he made. I mean, he spent the money on all that swag. He spent the money on that statue. He did not do that because he loves me, he didn't do that out of altruism. Okay, he did <laughs> it because he knew that the customers would buy the product, right? I mean, same reason why Ronnie is so crazy on my product. He knows that if he convinces a customer to start smoking my product, there's a high likelihood that they're going to become very loyal to the brand and hopefully loyal to him and the service he provides his customers. Mm -hmm. The same reason why someone at Rockies, they make the little Glenn Karn glasses, right? I mean, think about this. I'm in a position right now where I have retailers making swag on my behalf. I'm not making the swag. I'm not even paying for the swag. They're actually making their own swag because they so believe in the brand. Okay? I mean, do you realize how crazy that is? Yeah. I mean, when you really stop and think about it, how many cigar companies out there have retailers that are making swag on their behalf? Now, sure, we can't count the big box guys, because the big box guys, they make all sorts of really cheap, antsy swag, and and they just package it with whatever they're selling, right? They got a giant warehouse of Chinese crap, and they got a giant warehouse of all these different brands, and they use their Chinese crap with this brand, but it isn't the same as someone making a Don Derma hat. It isn't the same as someone making a special, you know, Christmas ornament for the, Christmas was soccer Claus. It isn't the same as someone making a sin compromiso uh, whiskey glass. You know what I mean? It's a much, much different situation than that. And, and, and they're not doing that out of the goodness of their heart. They're doing it because they see the value in the brand. Right. They see the value in the product. They see the value in the company. They see the fact that, oh, this is something that's really good it's good for my store and it's good for my customers. And therefore I want to do whatever I can do to help promote this. And that's a very enviable position to be in because you really can't say it about many other companies. I don't, I don't even know if I can say it about any right now. Well, I mean, if any,
0: if any retailers out there that love you want to make a uh, Dunbarton and tobacco and trust flannel, I'd be all about that. So there is a
1: rule. I, there is a rule.
0: I have to approve it. You're rocking a flannel right now. Why wouldn't you approve a Dunbar and Tobacco and Trust? Depends
1: on the flannel. It's got to be nice. Like, yeah. uh look, my 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 friends at one company had the idea that they wanted to make soccer socks, and I, I put the kibosh on that. I didn't want soccer socks.
0: Soccer squash for f- slippers would be fucking fun, though. Not gonna lie. <laughs> uh, um, I'd rock the shit out of those, man. That'd be great. Um, no, but. I, I, just to kind of get back to this, I know it's like again, I. I, I think mean, it, to,
1: say you don't, to say you don't market is a foolish thing to say out to say because, look, it's one thing to make look in a perfect world. I'd be a billionaire, and I wouldn't need people to buy my cigars. I could just go and afford to spend four million dollars a year, five million dollars a year to buy the tobaccos I want to make the cigars for me to smoke and for my friends to smoke, and I wouldn't give a rat's ass, right? But I don't have that luxury, so really the way this works is, I have to have the company, and it has to be successful in order for me to have the cigars that I want to smoke. Really, the consumers are enabling my habit. Is the way this works because if I was a billionaire, I'd stop this shit in a heartbeat. I just go to Nicaragua and make whatever the fuck I want and be done with it, and don't have to worry about making a making a product, making a cigar, putting it in boxes, all the headaches. Dealing with the retailers and trade shows and travel and yada, yada, yada. But that isn't the way this gig works. So I need the sales. They're essential to the the lifeblood of the company. You can't make cigars in a a vacuum, right? Mm -hmm. So, I mean, it's essential to the company. So, yes, you do need to have an element of marketing. Uh, We tend to do it a little different than most companies, you know, I think. We have our own we have our own approach to it. That in some ways there's parts of it that are conventional, and there are parts of it that's unconventional. Um, But look, a big part of the marketing that we do is very labor intensive. It's me, and it's not me just posting on social media. It's me interacting on social media, right? Me actually engaging in the conversations, engaging in the jokes, engaging in the memes engaging in the barbs engaging in you know a little bit of education squeezed in here and there like uh some of the most educational posts i write these days are in uh, cigars daily nation Mm -hmm. Uh, why because cigars daily nation is a group that's full of a lot of newer consumers and they they need some guidance you know what i mean they they're still they're still learning um so you'll find uh, if you go to cigars daily nation and you you know, you do the search bar in my name, you're gonna find some pretty informative comments in there about tobacco and cigars and all of these issues that I don't write about on my on my Facebook timeline. I don't write about in the soccer squash group. You know what I mean? Because they don't need it, you know. But uh, so I, I think that that's part of what makes the company a little different, but. I've always liked to do that. That's what I was doing in the 90s when I started getting involved in, you know, Alt Thought Smoker Cigars. It's part of my personality. So is it marketing or is it not marketing? I would be doing that regardless. You know what I mean? Sure.
0: So it's kind of- goes back to the authentic self. It goes back to the authentic self. right? Right. So, I mean, it's kind of like
1: I was doing it before I was in the cigar business. I did less of it when I was at Drew, but part of it while I was at Drew is social media wasn't as prevalent. And uh look, uh
0: That's just time though.
1: And also it's also look, uh, you know, Jonathan and Marvin with the show ponies.
0: What so that actually kind of plays right into my next question. You spent significant time at Drew and then and also JR. Where where do you think you learn okay, again, you're your authentic self. That you didn't have to learn. That's just yeah. Right. Th- but where did no. you learn where did you learn the most about mm-hmm. how to be successful in this business?
1: Um, that's a, that's a good question. I learned most of the business stuff while I was at Jr. I learned I learned a lot more about factory when I was at Drew, you know, day in day out operation kind of things, um, you know. But uh, the business side was definitely more Jr. than was Drew because at Drew, I was really the person that was kind of the leading, you know, setting the setting the goalposts. You know what I mean? So it was a little different. I mean, it's like everything. You know, I still learn shit now. You know, you, you you never stop learning stuff, right? Right. I mean, so I don't I don't know that it's easy to pinpoint. Man, I've got my eyes are stinging. This cigar's killing me. Don't ever buy these. These
0: are awful. There it is. Yeah.
1: Which one Seriously, do you
0: smoke? Which one do you smoke? Saka
1: so- or the Papa Saka Khan, man. That's crazy. Smoke is so dense, man. It's killing me.
0: Did you uh, spend a lot of time with right. Lee
1: Rothman on a daily day on a day to day? Uh, yeah. I mean, Lou was different. Lou was, uh, Lou was not the person that said, "Let me sit you down, young boy, and teach you, young Padawan, the ways of the." You know what I mean? No, it was uh, it was much more a listening to him talk, seeing the decisions that he made, and occasionally asking questions like, "Why." And that's really how you learned with Lou. It wasn't a direct kind of like mentorship kind of position. So, I mean, but if you pay attention, you always learn a lot when you pay attention, right? Doesn't matter where you are. I mean, the more you pay attention, the more you learn. So, I mean, that was a tremendous opportunity. You're, you're, I mean, at the time, the number one retailer of cigars. Mm -hmm. Uh, we would do those catalogs like every eight weeks we had in any given week, we had a dozen different deals running. You start to learn a lot about what makes a consumer jump and what makes a consumer not bite. You know what I mean? Right. I mean, it's just, it's a, you know, that flurry, that level of activity and that large of a customer base where you're directly retailing to that consumer. It's very educational. right? Look, I mean, There's a lot of stuff that I learned there that I don't employ at all. I mean, because when I was at the JR, the model was the discount model. The model was fast, fresh, and cheap. I mean, there's nothing about what I do now that fits in the cheap box, nice. right? So you can't say I've embodied the Lou Rothman philosophy to the cigar industry Um, I haven't but I learned a lot and I mean and the other thing too is I also understand that I can't be the cheap guy
0: well it's that that, it's that thing that's floating around social media quite a bit it's like you can be one of the you can be two of these three things but you can't be all three and if you're only one you're going to be unsuccessful it's fast cheap and good well if you're cheap and fast it's not going to be good of course. And if you're fast and cheap, you know, if you're fast and cheap, it's not going to be good. If you're good and fast,
1: fast and good is expensive. It's,
0: yeah, it's not cheap. Yeah. You know,
1: and cheap and good is not
0: fast. And cheap and good is not fast. Yeah. Yeah. So what are you, fast and good, I mean, another, I think not another, cheap?
1: I think another. I think another advantage I have too is, you know that quote a jack of all trade is a master of none.
0: It's you heard that quote of, before? right, but it's not the entire it's only phrase. part of the quote. It's only part of the phrase yeah. it's not the
1: whole quote. it's it's uh, you know the you know the jack of all trade is the master of none, but better than the master of one. correct is paraphrasing it. but
0: mm-hmm.
1: it, you know being involved in all of these segments. You're garnering and you're learning about all of these different stages and all these different steps. And that just makes you better able to provide a better quality product that's branded in a way that makes sense, that's packaged in a way that makes sense, that's distributed in a way that makes sense. I mean, there's a lot of things on the back end that the consumer never considers. Mm-hmm. But look, retailers are dealing with dozens of vendors. How that relationship is from business to business dramatically impacts what they put on their shelves.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Okay,
1: it's not just the cigar or the brand. It's what's it like dealing with that company for credits, debits, memos, invoices, packing lists. You know, how's the email communication? How how is it what happens when I have to have an RMA and a return, a subpar product? You know, there's a lot of things that are totally behind the scenes that the consumer doesn't think about, doesn't care about. But I guarantee you, the people that are stocking the cigars on their shelves, they care an awful lot about. It's part of their daily grind of doing their business. And that's one of the things that for a lot of small companies, they have uh, they have no experience with it at all. They're completely OJTing all of that. You know what I mean? They think that, oh, I'm going to make a cigar and I'm going to get a pretty band put on it. And bing, bam, boom, here I go. Mr. Retailer, please buy a cigar. But it's just not, it's simply not enough.
0: Mm-hmm. No, I, I agree with that. So you talked about the relationship you had with Lou Rothman, not being the traditional mentor-mentee relationship. What was the relationship with, like with Jonathan, Drew? Was that, were, was it more of a partnership? Were you more of the mentor was there a bit so of a mentee on your side? I don't
1: know. It was combat at all times. Combat?
0: Yeah. Just Absolutely. like not not agreeing on vision or like what? It was just constant combat. Yeah. It was just, it was,
1: John's a very unique, special individual.
0: What did you learn at your time at Drew? You said the lot of the factory and how that works? And I, I learned
1: that I never want any partners in my future.
0: Okay. Well that dashes my hopes and dreams of ever becoming a partner at Dunbarton Tobacco and Trust, but
1: You can become a buyer, cost up some cash. But yeah, no. Look, John is a, a really creative, passionate individual, but he's uh there's a point where There's a level of being just an artist is not good for business. Business. And John, in my opinion, left to his own devices, there would be no Drew estate.
0: But isn't that isn't that part of the 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 his authenticity? And what John, and what
1: John would say is a counter to that. Is that he absolutely realizes that,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and that's why he's always brought in people, yeah, to take care of those other things, and he would point to me as exhibit number one, and he would, and I would, uh, and I would say that yeah, I agree with that. Look, John is somebody that's uh, truly different in our industry. He really is.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I mean, he is. He's different. But but John 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 needs people around him to support him.
0: And that's his authentic self, right? You, but your authentic self is obviously different.
1: Yeah, we're just you know, different just,
0: people. Just different people.
1: Yeah. Okay. I mean, neither. But look, John's the one with the a uh, hundred million dollar plus company. I'm I'm the one that's the guy cleaning the bathroom still, so there you
0: go. Just give it time, Steve. Just give it time. You don't pay. You don't pay Lafferty enough to clean the bathroom on occasion. At least can can, can he not give you a reprieve?
1: <laughs> uh, no, I gotta admit, I don't clean the bathroom. I'll,
0: I'll clean. I'll <laughs> clean the bathroom for a partnership, uh... I'll do that, man. Yeah, I I have
1: to admit I, I don't clean and I don't uh, and the one thing I'm guilty of. Everybody else the company does that I don't do is I don't help them unload the container.
0: I've seen that tractor you roll around on your property, man. I'd fucking mow your lawn. I'd do that shit.
1: <laughs> I don't even mow my own lawn anymore, dude. I'm so busy. I
0: actually, I hired, a, I actually hired a guy to mow the lawn.
1: It's actually a moment of great shame. It hurt my Yankee pride that. Gonna do it myself, damn it! And it just got to the point that I was like, I was traveling so much, I'd be home, and then I'd be like, it rained for three days, and he couldn't mow the lawn. Then I'd have to go away for two weeks, and it got to the point that sometimes the grass would be almost a foot high, and I'll be at seed, and I'd be like, oh, okay. And, that's, and then that's in order to what... mow it, you'd have to like mow it four times to get it like taking off a couple of inches at a time. And I finally like, okay,
0: that's where Bear comes in, man. I could do that.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I have to throw in the towel. I have to have someone come mow my lawn. Now the difference is I live in New Hampshire.
0: Yeah, sure. So there's no Guatemalans.
1: There's no Guatemalans mowing your lawn in New Hampshire, okay? So it's uh to get to get your lawn mowed is uh is it's not an inexpensive luxury, I can tell you that.
0: We just have to arrange it you play for you know you get me the plane ticket up there i mow the lawn and then you know and then that's that's my pay with you know the a cigar on on the patio with the great steve sock i'll take it so yeah. uh i'd say what my next big chore is
1: i gotta i gotta take off the front loader and mount the snowblower to the tractor so that's that's on my task list for this week i always dread that job every year i keep thinking man, I should just buy a separate tractor that I'd never have to
0: take the snowblower off, but it's just too big of an extravagance. See, everybody buy more Dunbarton Tobacco and Trust so Steve doesn't have to go through that painstaking tradition every year. <laughs> um, <laughs> We're uh, we're going to skip ahead. We normally do this at the end of the show, but I wanted. It's kind of relevant to what we've been talking about, so I want to bring in our next segment, which is of course the Dunbart Tobacco and Trust curveball segment. Fastballs or curveballs, doesn't matter since the company's inception. Steve Saka, yes, this Steve Saka has been knocking him out of the park, much to his own chagrin and and probably disagreement. Eight consecutive years, eight count them up in the consensus top three. Congratulations to our good friend, Mr. Steve Saka. You think this will this be
1: the year you. I? You think this will be the year I miss?
0: No, 1,000% no. All my money, all my money, Steve, all my money on it that you make it again. Consistently. this
1: scares me. The fact that everyone is saying that means I won't. Mm. That's the problem. Mm. Because humans are contrarians. So what's going to end up happening is everyone's going to give me lower rankings just to prove that wrong. And I want everybody out there to understand that has not come from my mouth. That has come from their mouths. Okay. This whole that I'm going to
0: do so well yet again. That's not, that is not me. Safe as, safe as bad in the world, man. I'm good with it. I'll, I'll die. I'll die. I'll die on that hill. I'm good to go. So, you Steve, know, you- the
1: reason why, let me say this. I think part of the reason why is, And no offense to my competitors, there hasn't really been a lot of great, exciting stuff this year. That's
0: what I was saying. Like, you were the exception at the trade show, man. That's what I'm saying. I mean, there really
1: has – I mean, there were some things I came out of the trade show like, oh, I can't wait to smoke that. Oh, that looks interesting. Look, I'm at the trade show. I'm in my own little hellhole. So I don't get the chance to, like, try all this stuff. But look, I, I get the buzz. I hear what's going on.
0: No offense, and, take in case you're wondering, I'm I'm the one who puts you in the whole hole with the interviewing yeah. you, but that's but
1: I, fine. But I have, but I, but I had, I had like, I had like a dozen things that I like, oh, got a try list kind of thing, right? The cigar geek in me, oh, I got to try that. I got to try this. I personally found it an underwhelming year, personally. I really did. And there were some things that I thought were going to be more than what they t- to my palate. Okay. I don't know what the ratings are the look. The only ratings I ever see are the ones I get tagged in, right? So I have no idea what other cigars are like getting super high scores and what other cigars are the running. I only I only know what my own little stuff is going on. But there weren't a whole lot of standouts for me this year. There were a few, but there weren't as many as in a normal year. It seems as though this year. It seems as though this year. I don't even know that you need a top twenty-five or a top thirty. I think you could pretty much do a top ten, and you would cover all the high points of the year.
0: Well, that's why my time frame goes back, so that I don't have to deal with it. And I do have a top ten, so I mean, I, I at this point in my brand, I don't know if I'll, I'll ever go to a top twenty-five. It just doesn't. I don't think if it ever makes sense. So uh um, yeah, but you
1: don't have you don't have the same need to satisfy as many advertisers.
0: Yeah, but you know you advertise with me, Stephen. you haven't made every single one of my top tens. You've made two, you know, yeah. in six years. Yeah, but look. I don't I don't mean it in that
1: way. I mean it that I advertise with everybody, right? The only people I don't advertise with currently is Cigar Aficionado and I don't advertise with uh, Cigar Journal. Now, I will start advertising with Cigar Journal because our international sales have gotten to a point that now those retailers, because for those consumers out there that don't know, Cigar Journal started off as European Cigar Journal and it's a much more prevalent magazine in the international market than a lot of the others. And look, they do good work at Cigar Journal. Um, So probably in 2024, I'll start with them. Um, But look, I I try to support most of the media sites. And I don't do it because I think it's going to get me better ratings. I don't do it because I think it actually generates more sales. I do it because I just think that the more discussion there is about cigars, the more reviews there are of cigars, The more YouTubes there are, we have cigars. I think it's just generally good for the whole industry. Mm -hmm. And I think if it's good for the industry, I think ultimately it's good for Dunbarton because I happen to think we have one of the best products in the market. So therefore, if the industry does well, we as a byproduct will do well with it also, right? Right. So so that's kind of the way I look at it um, more than anything else. But I, I don't think that there's a direct quid pro quo and, I, and as someone who has a very poor relationship with my friends at Cigar Aficionado, I can even say in my heart, I do not believe that advertising determines the number one, number two, number three cigar. I don't. I, I there's plenty of people that have given Cigar Aficionado gobs of money over the years, and they never, ever got a top-scoring cigar. Now, you will not get a top-scoring cigar if you're not an advertiser with them, that is true for the most part. They'll always sprinkle in one or two just to make the list seem legit. Okay, but I don't have a problem with that, right? I mean, you uh look, I don't I don't visit retail shops that don't carry my cigars. Just that simple. I, I don't support those who don't support me. That's so, so I, I, I don't I don't I don't begrudge I don't begrudge any publication that 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 does that i don't think they have some sort of like obligatory duty to be fair and just i i just don't think that's the way
0: it works so on that note of just your time in history in the cigar industry so here's the well question steve you've been smoking cigars for a long time you're a cigar geek you've said you've said it even on the show tonight (laughs) So you've smoked a lot of cigars, apart from all the Dumbarton Tobacco and Trust Creations that you've created. So what's what's a cigar that you would want to try in all of your history of smoking? What's a cigar that you wish you could go back and recreate that isn't one of yours?
1: Gosh tough question because I feel like I've done a lot of them already um, you know Brule Blue is a recreation of the way the Davidoff Abanos used to smoke to me the Dom Perignon and Brule is a recreation of those Dominican cigars I used to smoke in my early early years and Mike Rita is a recreation of those cigars that I used to smoke from Estella Padron from the Villazon factory when he used to make Hoy de Monterey and Punch back in the early years when they were an independent company. So, I mean, I, I, I think I've covered a lot of those bases. I mean, I think the one cigar that I'd like to make, and this is really this is really kind of funny, I don't have anything that smokes like one of those original Antonia's. You know, back in like 1999, 2000, when Hoya de Nicaragua first released the Antonio, 1970s. I mean, those were some unbelievable, beastly cigars. Right. I mean, they were so sharp. They were so nicotine heavy. I mean, they, they were crazy. Um, I think that that would be something... That I'd like to do. Um, you know, what's funny is I work with the factory that made those original
0: cigars. And I was just about to say.
1: But here's the thing all the tobacco has become so much better over the years. I mean, part of making that style cigar is under fermented, almost raw. You know what I mean? Tobacco is, you know, part of the way you achieve that kind of experience. Um, and that's really hard because it's a it's a pretty small window you have to operate under. It's a very hand to mouth kind of situation. So that makes it a really hard kind of product to make on a consistent basis.
0: Well you harness you harnessed the Wisconsin Comstock, which is a very sharp tobacco. And yeah,
1: you- but but it's still not the same. Man. That that just unbridled rough Nicaraguan. I mean, nobody. I mean, like uh, Papine and Tatuaje make some of the best in the genre today, but it's still not as raw as those cigars were. You know, in the in the in the in the early in the late nineties. I mean, those were some really raw Nicaraguan cigars. Gotcha. Um, I mean, what else? Look, I I never can recreate anything that's Cuban without Cuban tobacco. I mean, you can make Havana-esque Cuban-esque. You can make some things that lean towards that kind of profile, but you can't really make anything that has that sweet, delicate, floral kind of aroma without that particular tobacco. So that would be... I mean, that would be something, but there's no future in that. I mean, the Cubans don't have enough cigars to make. They don't have enough tobacco to make Cuban cigars, right? So they're certainly not going to be selling any tobacco to anyone in the near future. That's of any quality or grade that's even worth having. I mean, their production numbers have gotten so low that they have to jack the prices up so high to keep bringing in the dollars. Uh, So that's not really achievable. Um, Yeah. I mean, there's some cigars you'd say to yourself, like, I don't have anything that really parallels those classic Cameroon cigars of the, the 80s. I mean, the one that survived is the Don Carlos for Fuente. But those original H. Upmans, there was a point where H. Upmans were Cameroon wrapper. Right. And they were really exceptional cigars. And then during the cigar boom, they got forced to Changed to using uh, Indonesian wrapper because it looked the same, but obviously it doesn't taste the same. But the way those original Hupmans were, those were those were beautiful Dominican cigars. The problem that you have with that kind of cigar is, I don't know that there's a consumer for it anymore. Um, the mild guys have pretty much switched into all shade. And uh anything that appears dark, um, everyone expects it to be much more fuller in body. Because mm-hmm. even today, when you look at a cigar like a sin compromiso, which I would put it like a sin compromiso number five, I put it as a dead medium, right? That's a way stronger cigar than like ninety-eight percent of cigars that were released in nineteen ninety three and ninety-four. You know what I mean? Uh the level of just amplitude on the price that we make today is so much higher than what it was some 25 years ago, 30 years ago. It's just, uh, just the American consumer's tastes have dramatically shifted into much heavier, fuller, more robust flavor styles. And we're seeing that same shift in the international markets too. You know? So... Everything is trending towards a much more lively, robust ex- type of smoking experience than it ever was in the past. Um, it's very... It's one of the reasons why I find uh, it'll be interesting to see what happens with Sober Mesa Wagashi in the long run. I mean, right now it's getting rave reviews, but it, but it's new, right? Does Sober Mesa Wagashi Find an audience that will allow it to grow two, three, four, five, seven years into the future. It'll be interesting to see.
0: Is it milder? We got that question earlier. Is it milder than the regular Brulee and the Brulee Blue? I
1: I, I, I think it is. It's definitely milder than Blue. Um, I personally find it milder than regular Brulee. And part of it has to do with the trunk press. The trunk press ends up slowing down the combustion, and when you slow the combustion down, you almost always end up with a bit more delicate, milder smoke. I mean, there, 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 there is some spice to it, but most of it comes in, like, the back third of the cigar. Mm-hmm. I mean, the front end of it's very, uh, it's a very mild, creamy kind of style cigar. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's, uh, it's named appropriately. Gotcha. You know, so it'll, it'll be interesting to see how that ultimately fares. I mean, I've had some cons- some retailers that have smoked it, um, and they have compared it to the way they remember those Davidoffs from the mid 90s. Interesting. You know, saying, Oh, very similar to those Connecticut shade Davidoffs from the original classic series, but the thing is, the consumer today, when you smoke the classic Davidoff. This isn't meaning that it's worse or better or whichever, but they're different. Um, there was no allure in that blend. I don't, and for a while there, I know it all shifted to a lot of allure. You know what I mean? It was a much different style tasting cigar than it was in 1993 and 94. Um, you know, so the the brands come a, definitely over time has changed. So, um, you know, it, it'll be interesting to see, but yeah, uh, other than that kind of raw Nicaraguan, that's the only thing I'd be interested in doing, but I don't know that it's commercially possible. It was something that I had originally intended on doing at Drew Estate, but they changed the project after I left it. I'd like to do something with Chilgagre. I, I like, I'd like to do something with that. Um, what Chilgagre is, is it's... Um, so, as you know, almost all the tobacco we smoke is tabacum, right? Yeah. So, oh, there's another strain of smokable tobaccos, which is the Rustica, which Nico Rustica is what the name is that Drew State has. The original intent for Nico Rustica was for the blood to actually have Rustica tobacco in it. Right. Uh, and, uh, wild, and wild grown the,
0: tobacco, correct. The
1: wild grown tobacco. It's not. It's not intentionally cultivated. It could be cultivated, but the reason it isn't cultivated is there's no money in it for the farmer. Uh, the yield is really low, the weight is really low, there's just no profit in it. It's uh it's it's just it's a really tough product. So you would have to pay someone an obscene amount of money to grow the rustica that you would need to make the product. Okay. And also the way that rustica, and, and getting back to the word I used before, chigagre, Chilgagre is the word that the Nicaraguans use for their rustica. So every place has a different name for it. In Nicaragua, it's called Chilgagre. It. So yeah. I would be really interested in doing a project centered around that. Uh, uh, but even the curing method is different. It has to be sun-cured. So there's no barns involved in Chugagre. To do it the traditional natural way, it's literally put on a string and hung up. It's kind of like in a, a lean to almost, right? And that's only if they can afford a lean to. A lot of people just put it on strings and do it completely in the sun. Um, so it's a, it's a much different tobacco. Uh, but I think that would make a really interesting project. Which now, because I said it out loud on this program, some manufacturers are going to claim they do
0: it. They're going to steal my idea and fuck them.
1: But yes, I think it's... Uh,
0: or a bunch yeah. of retailers are going to be calling you tomorrow and saying they want that cigar. Either one.
1: Yeah. I mean, look, I think it's an interesting project. You know what I mean? To to make something like that.
0: Right. Okay. Well, that brings us into our next segment, which is our asylum moment. Refuge is more than just a physical place. It can be a state of mind. Some of life's greatest reflections can be found in our own personal asylum. Moments like these were made for asylum cigars. So light up an asylum and choose your refuge. Now, Steve, I've asked you this question. You've been akin to this, this segment for a couple of years now, so I'm changing it up. Normally, I ask for you to talk about a moment where it was just you and the cigar, but I kind of wanted to center it around a project specifically. And we talked earlier about the problems that you had with Krakatoa and how difficult yeah. and the patience that had. when talk about the moment when you finally smoked it and you were like, here it is, this is it.
1: Yeah. I think when, it, when I, when I got there was when I stopped doing what I had been beating my head against the wall for two plus years. And I started working with some tobaccos that I hadn't been working with before, Um, you know, and two different ingredients that I wasn't working with before. One of them was some agronorsa-grown criollo. It's not an ingredient that I have used a lot of in the past. Um, We had used some back in the Liga Pravada days. I don't know if they still are, um, but I had used it then. So that was one ingredient and the other ingredient was uh getting back to my uh my much uh my much maligned uh, Nicaraguan broadleaf. Uh I started using some of that as filler tobacco. I think it was the combination of the using these two different tobaccos that ended up kind of putting the project back on track. You know, it kind of kind of almost kind of stop doing what I was doing in this, just start fresh and start with something entirely different and start looking at other materials that I don't commonly look at. And, uh, and I think that that was the moment where, Oh, it all started to fall together. And not only did Krakatoa come out of that, but so did the Don Derma golden child blend come out of that. Um, so I actually got two blends as a result of that. Mm.
0: Nice. Nice. All righty. Well, Steve, we're at the end of our show. We've got one final question, one final segment for you. It's a little bit of a fun one. We've had a great conversation tonight. Steve, I really appreciate it. Like you like you commented in the green room just before we got started. It's a late night. And yeah. It's a late night.
1: I'm gonna have to go to work in the morning. Don't you have to go to work in the morning?
0: I do. (laughs) I do. There you go. Um and it, it's it's so appreciate, appreciated. Appreciated um, every time you agree to be on the show, Steve. Um, and the fact that you know the last few years you've done it on my birthday, which again I know how much we you love birthdays. Um, but the fact that you love still, birthday, you still <laughs> come and do this every every year, every time I ask you to. I, I it it does not. Um, it 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 means so much to me. It does not mean. I don't take it for granted. And I, I want you to know that. And I really. All right, really-
1: enough already. We got it. We got yeah. it. Go on. Okay. What's the question,
0: damn it? All right. So, this is our everybody eats segment, which is always brought to you by Pasta Cigars. Everybody eats. It's all if you always make sure that your servant's towel is bigger than your appetite, everybody will always get theirs. Pastagna Cigars is more than just great cigars made by cool people, they embody an attitude of gratitude and grit. With Pastania, everybody eats. So, Christmas is coming up, Steve. Yes. So here is my question about everybody with everybody eats. What is a dish that you like to make or share with other people? Your favorite dish that you like to make or share with other people?
1: So it's actually not a really I don't even know how to describe it. Um my mother made this dip called Bumante. It uses this spice called Bumante spice. It's like really just like a lot of sour cream. And you take corn, you take corn beef, and you slice it into really thin strips, like almost like ribbons, and that gets mixed in, and then with a little bit of onion, and then with this spice called Bumante spice Bumonde spice. And and what you do is you 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 dip like a rye bowl bowl the red the round bread mm-hmm. so you scoop out the bread bowl and then you put the dip in it and then you take all the bread that you scooped out and the lid that you cut off the bread the top and the crust and you cut that into little cubes and then you dip it into this dip and it's like it's just fat boy paradise it really is i just there's there's something about that spice and that dip it's really gross when you think about it, right? It's sour cream and corned beef and onion and this like weird it's spice
0: doesn't sound gross at all. What, what's Boomonde spice? Like, how can you describe it? Is it like is it earthy? Is it sweet? Is it spicy? Is it?
1: It's kind of this weird savory kind of. I'm actually gonna look it up on Google right now, so I don't. I don't even know if I know how to spell it properly, because it's really a. It's really a. It's really a, a combination of stuff. So let me see what it says. Spice Island. So what is it? So according to Spice Islands, Bumande, a perfect balance of celery, onion, and salt with a touch of sweetness. It's it's meant for savory dishes and a rub for roasted meats. And there's just, there's just something about it that's just a really great taste that I associate with, with the Christmas table. Because what we do as a family so we have our like official christmas dinner on christmas eve that's the fancy sit down dinner we have that big dinner and then uh and then we we go to church on christmas eve for the christmas eve service after the dinner and normally that's like rock of lamb or a rib roast a prime rib it's kind of typically what that meal is and then on christmas day what we do is we just do an entire table of just charcuterie and appetizers and you know you know seafood you know mostly shrimp and like lobster you know what i mean that's just so it's just there to pick at all day long you know what i mean Mm -hmm. and that's what we do on christmas day so there's no formal christmas day meal there's just this like big buffet of stuffed mushrooms and the bombande and, you know, charcuterie and the seafood and a few other little. Every year, my wife will add one or two little, like, new things that we've never had before to the table that are a little bit experimental. So, but yeah. Nice. So, yeah. That sounds fantastic.
0: Bombande. And that's for people out there spelling it. It's Bo, B E A U Monde M O N D E. So it's two words, but Monde spice. Good stuff. Check it out. Spice World has it. So fantastic. Well, Steve, thank you so much again, once again, for the opportunity to sit down with me tonight, and I really do appreciate it. Um, just one last touching moment that I'll, I'll share with you. Uh, it really meant uh, it really meant the world to me uh, this year at the PCA. Uh, trade Show where I sat down with you. I did our our, our fun interview that we always do the last day, and uh, I gave you a, a an award that year. This year, yeah, uh, that... the
1: number one most watched program, I believe.
0: Yes, that's correct. And um, it's always my it's always my favorite award to give. Um, it really is, even above the number one cigar of the year, uh, just because um, it it one it it demonstrates the support that I get from from guests like you um but also from uh the viewership that you it's more blame.
1: so from the viewers
0: right what's that
1: no it's more it's more
0: you it's the viewers really mm-hmm. yeah no absolutely you're, you're, you're in a business of viewers mm-hmm. i am and uh and i could tell that you were very touched by it and uh, i mean i was touched to give it and i could tell you were very touched by it and it was a very it was a very special moment for me and i just want to thank you again um it's been a rough year it's been a tough year. Um, but um, but ultimately, I, I, that moment um, was very beautiful and it meant a lot to me. So thank you very much for your friendship, support, and uh, for everything. So thank you. I don't know. So you
1: just keep doing what you're doing.
0: Yeah. That's what, that's the that's the plan, sir. That is the plan. So for everybody out there, we do appreciate all those likes, shares, and comments. Keep them coming. Uh, we've had a fantastic audience tonight, Steve. Yes, yes. Even though it you is in the wee hours you of the morning. The
1: way you do that. If we don't learn anything from these YouTubers, you gotta ask for that like, share, follow. That's good. Like in the first, like right in the beginning. That's true. You gotta gope them into that. Because way to the end, the people that are still here, however many people are watching this, now, I don't even know, 10, 12, you know, however many people there are, you know, they're already, they already are fully bought in. You gotta get up early on that like, share, follow thing.
0: I'll change it up, Steve. We'll, we'll make that a New Year's resolution for you. That will, yeah. That'll work. Definitely good.
1: Please uh, like, share,
0: subscribe, yada yada yada. And on that note, please like, share, and subscribe everything. You can tune into <laughs> our YouTube channel. Hit the subscribe button if you are a subscriber. We really appreciate that. If you are listening to us on podcasts, wherever you listen to podcasts, whether that be on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, Podbean, or wherever you listen to podcasts, including iHeartRadio, be sure you download, subscribe, and review. Please leave me a review. Tell me how much I suck. I'm going to go with the Steve soccer approach here. Tell me how terrible I am. That'd be fucking great. The best. Um, the, the absolute way worst.
1: More to ask me for that.
0: Yeah, the absolute worst. Tell me how terrible I am. Uh, if you are a subscriber, do me a favor. Hit unsubscribe, but don't forget to hit resubscribe. That helps me get my, that actually boosts my numbers and helps me get great guests like Steve whenever I want. Um, and of course, you can always check our Facebook live broadcast every Sunday nights, 930 Central, 1030 Eastern, to, Sh- to Steve's chagrin um, as well. And we've got our calendar of upcoming guests. We've got some great guests on the horizon. So definitely going to be uh, having. Been some fantastic shows, uh, so it is. Uh, without further ado, that we will conclude tonight's show, and, and we thank everyone, including Steve, for being a part of it. So, one more time, live from the Alec Bradley Lone Star Studios of azel Texas. I'm your host, Barry Tulissey, as always. He's Steve Sock, everybody. And guess what? We'll